everyone. This is 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back. I am Michael J. Nelson, along with Connor Listoka. This is the podcast where we read through books that we're probably not going to like. Why would anyone undertake such madness, you ask? I don't know. Connor, why do we do this? Because it's there. Because the bad <laughs> books are there, and they're not going away, so we need to we need to help people get through them. And boy, this is a doozy of a bad book. Well, in fairness, we're not finished with it. Maybe he wraps it up and we all at the end go, we were wrong. We're sorry, Sir Bram. I assume he's a sir. Did we find that out? Oh, man. I guess he's got to be, but he is Irish. Are they allowed to be sirs? I'm sure they have some order, right? You can be a, a knight in a bunch of different orders, I think. If you're a Olivier or something, you have a bunch of... It's almost like Dwight David Thrash at that point. You have a bunch of, <laughs> of titles right. that you're a knight in. So. Right. So the, the order but of the borderline I'm... unreadable novellas might have inducted him, too. So, <laughs> Yes. Uh, well, I had a good experience this week. Uh, the On Wednesday night, we were, we were chatting. We were texting as the... Uh, as the Nats made it to the NLCS for the first time, dramatic, mm-hmm. uh, dramatic event. And so that was in L.A., so the game started late and ended even later for the East Coast. And it was one of those games that was incredibly dramatic, and you know, I realized I was not going to be f- able to fall asleep, even though it was quite late afterwards. So I, uh, I went on Amazon. This was the sort of thing that like, the next morning I was like, oh, right. <laughs> uh, I went on Amazon, and uh, arriving today in the mail will be uh, a... Huge bird kite, Six, uh. <laughs> 62 inches wide and 38 inches long, 100-meter string, built to last, great for family fun. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, Connor drunk dialing uh, bird kites. I, uh, my, my parents are in town this weekend, so I, I may be enlisting them to help me uh, uh, recreate uh, Edgar Coswell's uh, imposing of gloom and doom over the entire uh, Lake Champlain region. I uh, I saw that on on Patreon. By the way, plug for Patreon uh, people. Uh, you, <laughs> right. you got to see his kite before anybody else. Uh, I thought you were obviously thought you were kidding. So I'm, <laughs> I'm thrilled that uh, we're going to see this thing in action. Well, I had a couple things in my cart and was just like I was getting ready to review that, and then I was like, well, why not? I thought about doing this before making a little video. So we will get to see. Uh, we will get to see how how sending up a note, how fun that can be, and if that is the sort of thing that really could captivate you for for weeks on end get your uh, wire as thin as a human hair ready <laughs> but we have a out. we had a question from a from a from a patreon supporter in the comments uh i, I mean must we must have talked about this i don't remember why we would have talked about this but taylor asked uh mike you previously mentioned your war with the crows while living in uh, san diego did you ever employ a giant kite to send them into hiding <laughs> <laughs> uh that was one of the things that uh you can do uh, either something annoying that flutters around. So one of the things that people do, and I assume that they don't care that their house then becomes an eyesore, is that you hang up uh, old CDs or DVDs <laughs> on uh, on wire as thin as a human hair around in the trees. And it just annoys them enough that they, they keep getting flashed in the eyes and they don't like it. <laughs> They're and annoyed they the- by uh, 50 free hours of AOL uh, <laughs> yes. reflecting into their eye. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they can't ride on buses as well, because they those things fall out of magazines, the <laughs> AOL free thing. Um, yeah, so speaking of Amazon, though, how fitting, how fitting, because wow. I'm going to th- throw at you an Amazon review quiz. Wow. We're going to our- be calibrating the taste of someone who gives 
Lair of the White Worms, a solid five stars. Oh, my God. The one we did live was a, a pan of it, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. no, there, are th- <laughs> there are three, and it is seriously an embarrassment of riches of what these people, what their lives are like. The little glimpse behind the curtain. And I don't mean to shame these people. These are their reviews out there in public. So oh, yeah. I mean, this is what they, you know, we're not, uh, we're not unveiling anything they're they're sitting out there you've got to anticipate um, that if you write an amazon review years later people might yes. uh, go into great depth to your online purchases on a on a you know book comedy podcast years from now your five-star review of the giant kite will be uh, pulled out and ridiculed no not ridiculing we're just trying to find out what kind of person likes uh yeah, really exactly likes bram stoker and there's only three that's that's amazing I didn't comb through all. There's quite a few, uh, more than you would think for an obscure book like this. Relatively obscure. But let's get to it. Let's test you out. Here's the five-star review from Lucian303. Five stars. For the Dracula fans, this novel is amazing and that (laughs) is a parallel to Dracula, despite a plot that is completely different. However, the characters are similar to the ones in Dracula (laughs) and written in such a way that I have never experienced before. And Lucian, I 100% agree with you there. Wow. Parallel. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, our our orbit around our sun is also parallel to, uh, you know, Neptunes, and they could not be further apart. So, A great accomplishment from Bram Stoker. Wraps it up there. All right. So there's, uh, there's what Lucian feels about it. Lucian 303. Uh, another product, Remington Curl Perfect Curling Iron. Uh, what do you think? Five stars. Four stars. Okay. The future of curling irons. <laughs> it cannot not harm you, and I, I think that's a typo. I assume it means it cannot harm you yes. by burning because the heat is protected by plastic. Works great. Only four stars because it's too short. Okay. Hmm. What, how is it the future? Is it is it app activated? Like, is it? I think it's because it cannot harm you. The plastic next to the heat seems like a downside, but hey, I'm not Lucian. Uh, yeah, maybe Lucian only used it once, and the plastic <laughs> melts off, and it becomes the most dangerous curling iron in the world. Um, John Paul Pet Detangling Spray. <laughs> uh, so wow, this this uh, the, the curling iron could have been for a dog. Uh, I give this four stars as well. Five stars. Wow. For a cat who mats her hair, this detangler can prevent it. Can smells great. My cat <laughs> smell great. <laughs> this is a good detail. My cats smell great naturally, but not all cats do. Wow. Wow. I had to take Humble care brag. of several cats as part of my job. Here is why this is so great. Giving your cat a shower can make his or her mats even stronger and harder to shave, so a product like this can help prevent it. Well, how the hell is this cat getting so matted? I don't know. Uh, What's the shaving about? Well, I don't want to delve too far. We have two more. Okay. Uh, Cat Chow Naturals plus vitamins and minerals. Five stars. Five stars. Wonderfully tasty and healthy cat food. Wow. Well, we'll take take your word for that. Good Lord. And finally, and probably the reason I chose this person, Equate Stool Softener 100 milligrams. Oh, oh, we 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 win either way. Uh, one star didn't get him soft enough. If she had said, and I'm I'm assuming this is a she, but I don't know, I don't know. If she had said, uh, I make my toilet quickly because of it, I would have. <laughs> uh, it would have made my year. 
But five stars, one of oh. the best products out there. No stomach pain as other similar medications cause. One of the best products out there. So you've got like uh, uh, the top and top of a line, like uh, Mercedes sedan. Uh, you've got uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Wagyu beef uh, prime cuts. And then you've got the stool softener. You've got Equate brand stool softener. <laughs> so there you go. That's the kind of person who uh, loves Bram Stoker's Lair of the White Worm. Yeah, I mean, maybe feed some of that to your cats and you might get uh, less matted fur around there uh, if they're able to strain less. Who knows? Uh, maybe that's what that shaving's about. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Wow. Well, that's a uh, eye-opening. Thank you, Lucian, for your, your contributions to the world of the Amazon ecosystem. Um, and <laughs> I suppose we can uh, we can move right into Chapter 17. Yes, indeed. Chapter 17, The Mystery of the Grove. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it picks up right where we left off with uh, people watching people watch people. <laughs> Pretty strong sneaking right out of the gate. <laughs> Fascinating uh, detail. Uh, Adam has decided he needs to investigate Diana's Grove. So he walks down there only to immediately uh, discover Ulanga is sneaking around there. Uh, he's he's so intent on watching someone or something that he did not guard against himself being watched. And that's a, just a key mental error of anyone who's watching something that thinking that you might also be being watched as you're as you're doing your spying. Right. It's and then in his vague descriptions of the lay of the land, he says he was fortunate that there was some sort of underbrush that he could sneak around in and watch Ulanga sneaking around <laughs> watching someone else. So is Ulanga missing the underbrush and he's just striding out? Like, how does the triple sneaking work? I, Wh which layers and levels of sneaking? Are there three <laughs> perimeters that people sneak around? I don't know. Well, like Adam is able to find this, but maybe he's just able to interpret what the hell is going on in the woods better than Ulanga because... Uh, we get we get some really bad mental pictures from Bram in this chapter, and the, the the description of the woods is is one of the first ones. It just see if you can like interpret what he's supposed to be getting at here, because he starts using commas a lot in these sentences. The thick wood, comma, though the trees were mostly of small girth, comma, threw a heavy shadow, comma, so that the steep declension, comma in front of which grew the tree behind which the African lurked was comma was almost in darkness. It's impenetrable. Like, Oh my God. Six commas and a like declension in front of which grew the tree behind which like it's, it's the one of the worst things I've ever read. Wow. Yeah. I, I just sort of gave up on trying to figure out what he's describing here and just, you know, the general, he's the general sneaking, vibe. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You just have to, you know, uh, but this this chapter is incredible because I mean, so he confronts, uh, he watches Ulanga confronting Lady Arabella. Sure, Ulanga's trying to sneak to into her door, like uh, the back door of Diana's Grove. So he's close enough to watch and hear Ulanga whisper to her. Yes, and uh, he says uh, he comes out of the concealment, and it sounded like a hiss. I want to see you, Missy, soon and secret. <laughs> what do you want? So now I guess he's just speaking. So is this her woman's intuition interpreting, right, interpreting his, this? Well, I don't think so. Because jumping up and down and snarling. He's or? talking in this in this horrible pigeon dialogue. He's saying my love for you, like he he, he pronounces love L U B. So either her woman's intuition is 
is is racistifying his uh, his his grunting, or we just he actually has been speaking English the whole time, and Bram has just been poorly conveying that to us. I also read it's it could be read as a uh, a mother uh, scolding her teenage daughter. Uh, I want to see you, Missy. <laughs> right. And, you know. Well, well, she did talk back to me. She does that because so they they set up the whole thing of this book. He sneaks around. He watches Ulanga. My favorite detail was when Ulanga is trying to get higher. So he goes into the shrubbery and pulls out a plank, just a, uh, a one of those forest planks that are all around. But then when Lady Arabella confronts him, she says, hey, this isn't a good time. Come back at seven. That is the most amazing thing about this chapter. So here they have this confrontation. <laughs> they stop it. And they all go home and agree to come back and sneak on each other and have the meeting again. And then it pretty seven. much, yeah, it, it, so they pretty and much that just happens. says, yeah, then it just says, so at seven, Adam came back and resumed watching them. There's absolutely no reason. Uh, and this happens multiple other times in this, like, you know, it happens in drawing room conversations where they go to sleep and then just resume it right where they left. Utterly pointless. I, I I could not believe that that was actually occurring that way. You assume <laughs> that, okay, my God, I can't get back, and it's imperative that I get back there, you know? Sir Nathaniel, what shall we do? Um, nope, it just resumes. <laughs> yeah. They take a little coffee break. <laughs> Everybody goes back, naps, whatever. They come back. Yep. Uh, but here here was, as Ulanga left her after, you know, like, hey, can we, uh, let's put a pin in this and circle back at seven. Ulanga made no reply in words, but putting the backs of his hands together, bent lower and lower till his forehead <laughs> touched the earth. Earth. Then he rose and went slowly away. Yeah. Uh, I, I demand this behavior from my Subway sandwich <laughs> artist once they've finished making my turkey sub. It is a... Uh, he, he, he has done this once before, I guess, when he first got off the boat, but we are, uh, we're left to, to imagine why and uh, the point of the whole thing. Yeah, he's calling her Missy at one second and then bowing and walking away <laughs> like a So do you uh do you ask them to do that when the uh as they're doing each step, like in between uh, pickles and pepperoncinis, <laughs> or is it just uh once the now whole once thing is I complete? Have, I sort of stand uh, looking like Mussolini as they make it and then I'll I'll not I'll give them a grudging nod for each step of the way and then when it's finally completed, then I'll give my grand nod and that's when they put their palms down. Right. You're they're allowed walk to walk backwards. They're allowed yes. to get back up once you've finished the sandwich. Yeah. Uh, but Ulanga also, he brought her a gift this time. Adam noticed when he showed up, I think at 7 p.m., that he was carrying his mongoose box. Uh, he notices this with surprised amusement, is that Ulanga has, I guess, gone into his room, taken a, a mongoose box, and is now presenting it to Lady Arabella, who doesn't seem very interested. I didn't even understand. What is the point of that one? Uh, I think later we get here, like her theory was that he thought there was treasure in the box, or maybe it was Sir Nathaniel's theory. But uh, whether it's uh, whether Ulanga knows she's a snake woman who's killed two mongooses already, we do not know. Uh, whether he just you know stole it, actually thinking there was treasure and thought she would like it, we do not know. Uh, a lot of things go go unresolved in this in this section. But. There are some fireworks in the second meeting, the uh, let's circle back and drill down meeting. Uh, this doesn't go well for Ulanga, for Lady Arabella, and certainly for, for no reader. Uh, I guess fans of racism <laughs> oh boy. certainly are the only ones that this goes well for. Which, you know, don't uh, count them out. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I, I don't really even have any notes on this because there's no way <laughs> for it to read it. Yeah. Well, I mean, essentially, yes. essentially, like they've they've walked down here. Ulong has been trying to get in this weird door, like a hobbit door built into the side of a hill or something. And Lady Arabella essentially comes out and says, "No, no, 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 no. you you use the back door here." <laughs> um, right. Which is like, yeah, I, it, this is just, we were. we're Led to believe this is sort of like a hidden door to the place, so it's already sort of a back door, but he has to use the, the back door's back door, which, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I guess if you're into that thing, this is a great book for you. But, uh, yeah, she uh, she has some some choice words for him, which I don't want to repeat here. Yeah, and the uh, we get right into chapter 18, Exit Ulonga. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, exit Ulonga is... The rare chapter where something actually does happen, but it happens in such a confusing manner and such a a it, there's supernatural things that just go unremarked upon by the characters, so it makes for a another extremely confusing read for the reader. Um, it starts with uh, Adam confronting Lady Arabella, um, who is, says like, you know, you had better not trust Ulanga, and she says, I don't. He says, forewarned is forearmed. Tell me if you will. It is for your own protection. Why do you mistrust him? <laughs> Which I thought was funny because, like, every time he's presented, it's like the slobbering demon, like the 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 unrepented savage whose teeth were sharpened to fangs. It's like, well, I I just have my woman's intuition working for me here. I just <laughs> he's not putting off a, a very you know appealing vibe. I guess that's why I don't trust him. But what's what is going on that he just walks casually up to her? Is this a time to say, hey, you know, don't uh, don't trust this guy. I, I was out there sneaking in the bushes watching him watch you. Right. Oh, and by the way, we have had uh, full-out supernatural battles on a number of occasions. <laughs> right. But just a little friendly reminder. Like, what? Why? Yeah. At this point, they have already, you know, they've theorized about the evil and all of this stuff. And then they're just having these friendly chats still. I, I, I don't know if it was like a early 1900s late 1800s social convention where it was just impolite to mention if your neighbor was a uh, thousand year old worm goddess like it's like an <laughs> elephant in the room you know you just you don't talk about you know tom's drinking or whatever like you just you know you have to let it be but it's insane and it continues to happen in even more ridiculous circumstances as this as this section goes on and man is this a, a baffling baffling section but the one uh, the one thing that was clear um, Bram Stoker or someone he knows or something is a, as a fan of a well-hung door. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, it's, it's impossible he's to ignore. He's a fan of describing doors and he's a fan <laughs> of doors that are well, that are well hung. I mean, that, that's the phrase. There you go. Snicker at it if you will, but yeah. I will. Uh, yeah. But, Do you have the whole thing? Uh, no, go ahead. Uh, whilst they had, been, whilst they had been speaking, she had opened the door, a narrow iron one, well hung. For it opened easily and closed tightly without any creaking or sound of any kind. And I I guess this was in an era where, like, getting a door uh, to hang well might have been more of a challenge. You sort of take it for granted these days. It's I guess it's just one of those, uh, you know, HGTV moments. Like, you know, the, <laughs> the contractor telling them, yeah, oh, this whole structure here is crooked. I don't know how you're ever going to get that thing to open and close. Hey, guess what? We got, we did it. Wow. It's well hung. It closes and opens easily. <laughs> uh, that yeah, is it, not, a, not a feature that I've ever seen mentioned in a book. How well is the door that he's describing? How well does it open and close? <laughs> 
Maybe his brother was like a uh, in a trades guild of door hangers, and he just needed him to like drum up some business. You know, like right. you, know, <laughs> you know, hanging well, your own happens- doors could be dangerous. You know, that's what <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what the Kaiser wants you to do. Like hiring a, uh, a local five hundred three door hangers tradesman to do it for you. Uh, n- now that's described again, of course, another iron door. Are you? I have zero mental picture of what this place is that he's describing. It's because they, f- for some reason, go through two doors, and I don't. There's no description of what's in the first thing really that I could make out or that I cared I, to make out. All I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, if you were reading this with zero frames of reference, you would be utterly. Uh, there'd be no map you could draw. There'd be no understanding of what you were looking at. Uh, in my mind, just any generic cave you've entered in a fantasy movie uh, reminded me of Crawl, like the sort of the final battle. They just go into a cave. There's a big pit of fire, or in this case, green pit in the center of it. But there's, you know, stalactites, there's dripping, there's, you know, spooky light. But that's I mean, only because of having seen other stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, she, uh, you know, they throw a little shade on that first door <laughs> on the second one. Because that was well hung, right? Yes, it was. The, yeah. the second one is wonderfully hung. <laughs> For the moment the small key was turned, the bolts of the great lock moved noiselessly, and the iron door swung open. Right. So no, his... no grating and no uh, twisting, uh, just a smooth, wonderfully hung door. So his mm. brother, brother the tradesman, was like, no, nah, the first one was okay, but just re- really hit him twice. Like that's They say that <laughs> studies have shown that they only until the second repetition do you start to really crave some door maintenance. I like this. <laughs> I like this description of, I think this is the wonderfully hung door. Uh, it was uh, narrow like the first and fairly high, led into another large room, the walls of which were massive stones so closely joined together as to exhibit only one smooth surface. This presented the appearance of having at one time been polished. So they, I'll read that again. This presented the appearance of having at one time been polished. So they look polished. Therein they were once polished. Like what the, how do, or they don't look polished now. Like, but they were at one time. I guess he's making a very fine distinction about the amount of uh, patina on the walls. <laughs> like, you could see, he could tell that there's maybe a little soot and smoke on them, but they were at one time they were polished. They're still smooth, but there's maybe a little coating of you know maybe get one of those uh, Mister Clean Magic erasers <laughs> and you get back to the polish. I don't know. But of all, like we were said, we have no idea what this room looks like, and uh, he's painted a terrible picture. But then he chooses to expend his his valuable detail words on uh, how well a door is hung and whether at some point in time in the past a wall had been polished or just appears to have been. Yeah, that's another. There's a, an artist's challenge for you if you're just going off of the putting the the weight that he does in your drawing into you know like. <laughs> Focus completely on how well the doors open and close and the polishing of the walls and then draw a picture of this space. Oh, oh man. My, uh, my, the one high school play I was in, I played the role of paper hanger in Auntie Mame, who had like four lines that would come in and like either wallpaper the room. I was never clear, but uh, I wish I'd been a door hanger. That would have been much cooler. <laughs> certainly would have gotten respect from uh, fans of Bram Stoker. <laughs> Uh, well, Alonga uh, so walks here's in. Another, and, sure. 
Sorry, go ahead. Oh, Alonga just walks in and and says uh, it, it just it sort of reminded me of a of a of a Trumpian Trumpian speech. He goes, "Much death here, big death, many deaths, good, good." <laughs> Because uh, yes. if you'll remember, Ulanga can smell death. This was a detail that was thrown at us once and quickly forgotten. But uh, he he walks into the the well hung door room, and there's been a lot of deaths happening. Yes, if you remember the plot, his man was to take him on a walk, uh, just you know, just a friendly walk, and uh, <laughs> uh, steer the conversation towards uh, the smell of death at various places. <laughs> and then he was going to join up with him and sort of uh, probe him further for. Right. Oh, you guys were talking about death smell. Right. So he yeah, now now here it, here it comes. He was one of those old weird guys who hang out at beaches with their headphones and beer guts using their metal detectors, but for death. Yes, and here uh, here comes the uh, so there's the well hole which has been talked about before, <laughs> uh-huh. right? Yeah, um, and uh, Adam starts to smell the stench from it. Oh my god! And, and and this is where we finally get a description. You know, usually they're vague. This one this one really drills down, so this <laughs> yes. one stands out. <laughs> so it was like nothing that this is a smell from the well hole, a stench. Okay. It was like nothing that Adam had ever met with. He compared it with all the noxious experiences he had ever had. The drainage of war hospitals, of slaughterhouses, the refuse of dissecting rooms. None of these was like it, though it had something of them all, with added the sourness of chemical waste and the poisonous effluvium of the bilge of a waterlogged ship whereon a multitude of rats had been drowned. <laughs> sure. Just off the top of your head. I... <laughs> wow. So the smell was of nothing like the third, the first three. However, it was kind of like them all. <laughs> but then put in the sourness of chemical waste. And we're not doing that. <laughs> uh, very extraordinary. And, and I, uh, obviously, you have to stop on this and... And get more information. So yes. uh, I went back to uh, I think in the first episode we uh, we got the uh, the unabridged version, which had been uh, yeah the unabridged audiobook. That's correct. So I just uh, went right to that to see surely this this is uh, amplified in some way, uh, and it was in a later discussion with uh, with Sir Nathaniel. Oh, like Sir Nathaniel naturally had questions about uh, about these smells. So well, yeah, we all kind do. Of, uh, I... Yeah. So uh, hopefully this will answer the question of how he ran across these. Let's run the uh, little bit of the uh, sure. unabridged audiobook. Well, well I, I say that that's extraordinary, my boy. Yes, sir. That uh, was quite a smell. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we should yes. probably retire before we discuss anything further. If I may, uh, where exactly did you acquaint yourself with such extraordinary odors? Uh, I mean, war hospital, slaughterhouse, a dissecting room? Uh, After school jobs. (laughs) Horses ain't cheap, you know. Oh, yes, 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 of course I see. So, uh, bed? Well, uh, well, one more question, my lad. Uh, Chemical waste. What is your knowledge of it? Um... Bouquet. <laughs> that, yeah, I made my fortune by low-bidding contracts for chemical waste disposal, and then instead of recycling it, I just dumped it down the drain at the war hospital. Good heavens, that, that seems uh, untoward. But uh, you are my beloved friends, 
grandnephew, and I'm certain you had your reasons. Sure did. Making a fortune was my reason. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Well, well, let it pass. Uh, uh, now, uh, the waterlogged ship, whereon a multitude of rats had been drowned. Yeah, that's quite simple, really. A uh, merchant friend of mine had fallen on hard times, so to help him out, I offered to purchase his ship at a somewhat inflated price. Oh, of course, capital, my boy, capital. Then I shanghaied a crew of homeless people, deliberately sank the ship, and collected the insurance money. Mm-mm. Oh, good heavens! But but the rats? Oh, yeah, they ate the corpses. Oh, God above! But that's awful. I know, I know, I know. I could have sold those corpses to the dissecting room. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Oh, it can't be. Oh, I'm quite undone by this news. You are not the man I thought you to be. You're, you're like a worse Ulonga. So bad? Yes, that's quite enough for tonight. Well, that really does fill in some details about those, uh, <laughs> those, those smells that if we had encountered maybe one of them in our lives, we would be, uh, we would have, have yeah. seen seen some stuff, but uh, wow, yeah, all all of them. Makes, he's, uh, he's a he's a young man. He yeah, has, he has lived. <laughs> Australians, they're crazy people, man. Well, you want a thousand horses, you're going to have to uh, you know break a few eggs. Yes, I do have a friend uh, a friend in in Burlington who works at uh, Yankee Candle, so I might have him put in a request for me for a. Uh, Poisonous effluvium of the bilge of a waterlogged ship where a multitude of rats had been drowned. Scented candle. <laughs> Can put that right next to your seaside holiday and your uh, clean linen. Yeah, so it's sort of like the uh, the, the terrible jelly beans game. Right? Oh, my God. Yes. I, got you, I got you a Yankee candle. <laughs> <laughs> it has some sourness. Oh, you got me a bilge. Right. Do not look at the label because there's a lot of words there, and most of them do not have a dozen words, and bilge is definitely not one of them. <laughs> right. Poisonous effluvium. Not a <laughs> phrase that's tossed around lightly anymore. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they, uh, they, so he's, you know, probably worked up by these, by these, uh, Proustian smells that this, uh, this well is bringing back for him. But, um, so the next, the next sentence after that is, uh, Ulanga, uh, quite unexpectedly noticed the presence of a third person, Adam Sultan, exclamation mark. He pulled out a pistol and shot at him, happily missing. Adam was him, <laughs> Adam was himself usually a quick shot. But this time, his mind had been something on something else, and he was not ready. So Adam, I mean, uh, we did not notice this, but Adam is already, in before the, the bilge of a rat ship, he's gripping, he, he has his finger on the trigger, his hand has wandered to the revolver, and he is resting his finger, ready to shoot. We get these smells, and then we, as Ulanga shoots at him, it says his mind has been on something else, and he was not ready. Uh, so having your finger literally on the finger of the gun, somehow his mind has, you know, drifted to, uh, you know, what he's going to have for dinner that night or something. Uh, did we buy walnuts? Are we out? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, unexpectedly, but he happily misses. Um, and then we, uh, get some, some just great sentences in a row. Uh, Adam and Ulanga both had pistols. Lady Arabella who had not won, was probably the most ready of them all in the theory of shooting, but that being impossible, she made her effort in another way. So I'd just like to go back to the way to describe her not having a gun. Adam and Ulanga both had pistols. Lady Arabella, who had not won. 
Lady, I mean, just it's it, no one has ever described it in that way. Lady Arabella didn't. <laughs> like, there you go. Stopping action to describe a person who, you know, what if there was a uh, three people having a karate match and one of them didn't have a leg and then you'd stop and go <laughs> he would have kicked the other person but not having a leg this was impossible right. in theory though if it had a leg that kick would have landed on his jaw and that might have been the end of the fight <laughs> right but as stated earlier <laughs> right it does not have a leg. well you, you have terry silver at that match being jo- you know johnny's i would tell you had he had a leg to sweep the leg However, him not having one, what you must do now. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So there's that sentence. So yeah, maybe the third incident of actual action in this long, long read. And then he takes a a sentence to insert a semicolon and four commas into the the follow-up sentence to that. And then ends it with, but that being impossible, which is obviously the thing that you know, started the whole, we knew that yes. she made her effort in another way. There's that strong, <laughs> right. strong language of action. there. We will try to make it. Uh, won't we? I think is that sort of, yes. a, she tried, then she says she tried to seize the African, another semicolon, but he eluded her grasp, comma, just missing, comma, in doing so, comma, falling into the mysterious hole. So, yeah, it's like, you know, it's it's all of our favorites uh, run on sentences in one. We got Bob Crane, Jim Dalen, Santa Claus. Um, it's yeah, it, it truly is a great action scene. Yeah, nearly an unreadable paragraph altogether, but it goes on. So as he swayed back to firm foothold. OK, so now she's down the well, right? Uh, no, just- I don't. I think she has yep. not gone down the well. She she tackles him down the well later, I think. No, gliding forward, she tried to seize the African, but he eluded. So in doing so, falling into the mysterious hole. Oh, okay. So he swayed back to firm foothold. Okay. So now he, being Ulanga, we assume, yeah. is back. And he turned his own gun on her and shot her down the well (laughs) uh Uh, this is where it's just like you just give up but this is a good sentence though instinctively adam leaped at his assailant you're in the middle of fighting him (laughs) how is this instinctively (laughs) right Uh, he has to kick in his instincts every time instead of well his thoughts might be elsewhere yeah i mean this attack could be happening and his thoughts could be drifting back to the walnuts so you gotta you gotta Uh, remind us well, all right. So, okay. So she, no, she just missed falling into the well. That okay. that sentence is so baffling that yes, it well, ends with falling into the mysterious hole, but there's a parenthetical three <laughs> parentheticals before that says just missing. Oh my God. Uh, well, that sets us stage nicely for this sentence, which was just choice. Uh, uh, she moved towards uh, Ulanga with her hands extended and had just seized him when the catch of the locked box, don't forget Ulanga's been holding a mongoose box this entire time, due to some movement from within, flew open and the King Cobra Killer, the special mongoose, flew at her with a venomous fury impossible to describe. <laughs> so we have the uh, the author just throwing his hands up and being like, ah, crap, I, I don't have it today. <laughs> like when a pitcher is not, you know, they don't have their stuff working. He's like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> it's his only job is to de- describe what right. is happening in this imaginary scenario. And he's just punting on it. Man. We didn't ask you to write this book. We didn't, <laughs> you know, I assume you haven't been forced to. Right. Although maybe that is, maybe that's the case. He yeah. got into some bad... Uh, he invested in his brother-in-law's door-hanging business. It hadn't gone well. 
You got to get another book out there. You know, it's like Sir Arthur Conan. He didn't want to write more Sherlock Holmes, but uh, you got to do it, buddy. Well, yeah, he's got that fast-talking agent who he heard last time. So uh... That's true. That's true. (laughs) Um, Well, then, uh, so she catches the the mongoose as it seizes her throat. Uh, She caught hold of it and with a fury superior to its own, tore it in two just as it had been a sheet of paper. The strength used for such an act must have been terrific. In an instant, it seemed to spout blood and entrails and was hurled into the well hole. In another instant, she had seized Ulanga and with a swift rush had drawn him, her white arms encircling him, down with her into the gaping aperture. So that's where they both, I mean, as is my understanding, she grabs him and they both leap into the hole. Um... You know, like uh, like Joe versus the volcano or something, right? That's yeah. I I I think she's tackling him and taking him into the hole. Yeah, uh, and then he's with, he, with he sees their yeah. green lights descending into the pit. But I mean, to not spoil anything, this, this goes on to be cast doubt whether she fell into this hole or not. Uh, but it it seems to me pretty clear that that's what has happened. And Adam has and, seen it happened. Like, there's no questioning this. He's not. His thoughts are not elsewhere. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, and the the green light, which he now knows is somehow associated with her, or is it coming out of the well? Because it's mm-hmm. sinking down. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, unclear, but yeah, the green light uh, then disappears from sight gradually. So yeah, it's sinking down into this uh, bottomless the, pit. The, lo- the light sank into the noisome depths, and there came a shriek which chilled Adam's blood, prolonged agony of pain and terror, which seemed to have no end. And then right into this, Adam felt that he would never be able to free his mind from the memory of those dreadful moments. You're, <laughs> you're currently, it, it's still happening, right? The, right? the scream is still going on. Yeah. Or are, are we later? Or is this, is he now 80 and he's in an old folks home? I don't understand. You, we just saw Adam's thoughts drifting uh, as he was preparing to shoot someone and that person shot him. So I, I get the sense his mind is not the steel trap. Uh, that he's making it out to be in this sentence. Uh, he might he might be okay here. So now he re-describes what has literally happened a second before. Well, get used he's, to that. <laughs> he's, he's rethinking it with, with terror. And, you know, his, the uh, fate of the African, his black face growing gray with terror, his white eyeballs now like vain bloodstone rolling in helpless extremity of fear. The mysterious green light was itself a milieu of horror. The green light's not mysterious. You're looking at it. Going down the well hole, right? Right. It's. I yeah. don't understand his be- befuddlement at the green light, which gets brought up as though it's some still a mystery. We're, we're at the spot of terror. We've met the beast right now, right? Yeah. I mean, and... I, I, He's 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 had no uh, he's been told that she is the white worm by by Sir Nathaniel's, uh, you know, bold theory, I think. But, yeah, there should there there should be no mystery. I guess it's a mystery why white worms put off green lights. I mean, that's sort of mysterious. Uh, But, uh, yeah, he 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 should have no doubt in his mind at this point in time that she's some some ancient monster that emits her own mysterious light. All right. Well, then the confusing action continues. He tried to rush away from the horrible place. Um, The darkness was closing in on him. He made a wild rush forward, slipped on the steps in some sticky, acrid-smelling mass. Yes. That felt and smelt like blood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, just do your job, Bran. 
Like it's not if it felt and smelt like blood, like either let us know that it is or it tell us why there's something else that feels and smells like blood that he's slipping in. And it's a mass of it? Is blood <laughs> spilt on the floor described as a mass? I, right. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's just, it's impossible to describe, Mike. It's, uh, that's, from, from here on out, anytime that happens, it's something that's impossible to describe. So give him a break. But then, confusingly, but still, this is, I think we got it right. He goes up the blood-masked stairs and he sees Lady Arabella. Yes. Uh, he rubbed his eyes in sheer amazement. Up the stone steps from the narrow door by which he had entered glided the white-clad figure of Lady Arabella, the only color to be seen on her being blood marks on her face, hands, and throat. Otherwise, otherwise she was calm and unruffled, as when earlier she stood aside for him to pass in through the narrow, well-hung iron door. Well-hung added by myself there. So, yeah, she's, uh, <laughs> she's standing there uh, unfazed. I mean, she has blood marks on her face, hands, and throat. Um... But, uh, yeah, she's she's back, uh, sort of acting like nothing has happened. So she's kind of doing, uh, you know, the uh, the movie hero thing of, like, dusting herself off after, you know, killing, like, 30 yeah, guys. Yeah, after the explosion. We're waiting, we're waiting for the uh, quip, you know, but no no quip is forthcoming. Right. right. <laughs> well, I'd better be off to dinner, you know, or something, you know, just... Uh, just uh, I'm unruffled by this whole affair. Right. Oh, I'll, man. I'll see you at the cotillion, Mr. Salton, <laughs> you know, throwing her... Hair right. over her shoulders and leaving. I guess uh, bizarre. He's, I guess he's hung in the well. <laughs> um, about Unfortunately, regarding... she did have a quip in there, but it was like three paragraphs of the most racist, <laughs> vile rant you've ever. <laughs> she had a quip, but it was impossible to describe. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and I uh, think that's where it ends. I think that we that's just sort it. of. Get them, uh, he, you know, but it, this is a pattern that's been established. I mean, he watched her pump his, his mongoose full of, uh, a dozen bullets and said nothing about it. So, um, why, why, why call her out on it here? Yeah, that's true. And she had, uh, warned, uh, her not to trust that guy. And, you know, this is, uh, <laughs> this is the end of that. So sure. that problem solved. So, so yeah, we'll, it, uh, we'll be chatting again soon, I, I think. Yeah, and speaking of chatting, episode 19, An Enemy in the Dark, st starts with Adam uh, going for a walk to steady his nerves, uh, shaken by the horrible scene, but to get his thoughts into some order so as to be ready to enter on the matter with Sir Nathaniel. So break out the uh, walnuts. We've got a uh, drawing room chat coming up. Uh, I just wondered about the thinking of that, obviously. Oh, oh man, I just got shot at... Uh wrestled with a half-demon man, saw him get dragged into a bottomless pit by a snake lady who is a neighbor I frequently chat with. <laughs> man, I better grab a walk before I discuss it with my granduncle's decrepit friend. <laughs> right. And in case, you're, in case you're wondering why he has to discuss it with the friend, uh, it, it was with an immense sense of relief that Adam heard his uncle had telegraphed to the housekeeper that he was detained by business at Walsall while he would remain for the night. So at this point in time, the uncle... Like his actual uncle is like a uh, a sitcom character that's always, you know, you never see. There's always like a reason that he can't be present or something like that. Like the home improvement neighbor, I guess. They're just finding reasons that his uncle isn't in the story, which just makes you wonder why on earth there needed to be two old guys. I I don't know. I haven't ruled out that he comes back and uh, pulls off the mask and he's, you know, the worm's master or something. Sure. Like I mean, I suppose. I, a big... I, yeah. But like, and it wouldn't make much sense if Sir Nathaniel, who he had never met, had written to him and invited him to Doom Tower. So you do sort of need the uncle as a MacGuffin in that department. But then just make make everything that he 
talks about with Sir Nathaniel happened with him. It's it's baffling. But um, I, I hated to oversell it because uh, if you're looking forward to the uh, walnut-laden conversation, uh, when Adam got home after his walk, he found Sir Nathaniel just going to bed. Uh, so it's going to have to wait. Uh, Adam will go to sleep too. And then when he wakes up, he has a, had a letter uh, delivered to him from Lady Arabella. So uh, there's nothing like unnecessary characters either breaking till 7 p.m. or just going to sleep and resuming exactly where they left off, which we get substantially more of in this section. It accelerates, yes. And so she gets this bizarre letter, a letter from the woman, all of this strange things and slipping in blood and, you know, well-hung doors and everything. She gets, <laughs> uh, he gets the driest letter from her. My God. That, that is pretty much unreadable. I mean, it's just a... Uh, you know, my dearest, uh, I, I hope you forgive me for this. I don't, and you can't even make out what it's saying. But well, she says she's like she says she's quite upset and unnerved by all things that happened this terrible night. I find it difficult even to write. My hands shake so that they are not under control, and she finds it so difficult with these shaking hands that she writes an entire page of this book as this letter. <laughs> it was very frustrating. <laughs> and these books are lo- that's that's like three pages in a normal book. Once you write a page in this book, I've pretty much decided. Yeah, in my uh, I'm reading the uh, e version of it. It's like four pages. The letter. wow, yeah. So so yeah, she just uh, she sort of gaslights him into believing that. Uh, well, she here's what she says: the awful man Ulanga. I shall I shall forever see him in my dreams. His black malignant face will shut out all memory of sunshine and happiness. I shall eternally see his evil eyes as he threw himself into that well hole in a vain effort to escape from the consequences of his own misdoing. So, yeah, she pretty much is just saying, uh, I don't know what you think you saw, but what definitely happened is that he just jumped into there, uh, killed himself because he was so worked up about, uh, you know, being so, such a horrible demon. Yeah, but uh, glad he's spending uh, sentences on this. I am not a sentimental girl who merely likes to thank a man. I am a woman who knows all of bad as well as good that life can give. I have known what it is to love and to lose and... Look, can we skip this stuff? <laughs> you must not let me bring any unhappiness into your life. I must live on as I have lived alone. And it, like, shut up. Yeah. I'm just dragging guys down a well. And now we're in Jane Austen territory. Yes. Only far duller. Yeah. You're, you're, a, uh, you're a woman whose husband has died in the 1800s. We'll, we'll assume all of this. You know, you've, you've, right. you've sat by the lighthouse and waited for the ship to appear. Like all this stuff has happened. We can just make that assumption. But this, so the uh, long, painful letter is done and read, and uh, Adam was surprised by this effusive epistle. I think uh, all readers are, are surprised. I would say saddened and disheartened by this effusive epistle. But he I was, determined to... What's that? I was saddened and disheartened by him lapsing into uh, Pappy Pariah alliteration. <laughs> yes. But he determined to say nothing of it to Sir Nathaniel until he should have thought it well over. <laughs> no, my God, you can't be doing it again. Right. Uh, he needs to go for another walk to put his mind in order before he uh, before he shares that. It's unbelievable. So he's kicking the can down the road again. <laughs> yeah, but in this book, like, you know, there's nothing else to do other than sit with Sir Nathaniel in the study and, and talk about it. So it happens pretty quickly. Like he, you know, he this determination does not last long. Yeah, they, they actually have a silent breakfast. <laughs> 
and then <laughs> so assuming they're not uh, so we can skip the walnuts and wine i assume i don't know the uh, custom of the times sure yeah i guess uh, you know probably not at breakfast um but post uh, post breakfast chat <laughs> so he then yeah he tells sir nathaniel what happened uh and sir nathaniel seems disposed to ask questions but shortly gave up when he realized that the narration was concise and self-explanatory. <laughs> was it? <laughs> so I guess if you're unable to write things that are concise, self-explanatory, coherent, you just skip over the people saying them and then say, it was concise, self-explanatory. Hell, it was, uh, it was very exciting, too. Uh, it, was, it was hilarious, actually. Like, uh, it was the greatest thing that was ever written. Uh, it's, but unbelievably you get to see the thought process of what sir nathaniel decides to do instead of asking questions so keep it such yeah keep in mind this is the sentence immediately following him describing something as concise concise and self-explanatory thenceforth this is sir nathaniel he contended give us give us the punctuation as you read to i think it will help (laughs) okay thenceforth comma he contented himself with quick looks and glances comma Easily interpreted, comma, or by some acquiescent motion of his hands, comma, when such could be convenient, comma, to emphasize his idea of the correctness of any inference. Holy moly. (laughs) It's one of, I mean, it's one of the worst things that's ever been written. I don't know what he's trying to do. He's giving quick looks and glances that are easily interpreted as when it's convenient. (laughs) <laughs> so apparently sometimes it's not convenient to give glances that tell him that I understand. So, so he's trying again. It's like uh, if someone tried to tell you how normal conversation worked <laughs> and then they fed it through, uh, you know, the, the Google Translate four times. Yeah. This might be something that came out. Is he doing like Charlie Callis? Like, you know, <laughs> like or is he doing, you know, like. Uh, finger guns at him, like thumbs up to encourage him telling the story. It's terrible. And just, yeah, to follow up uh, concise and self-explanatory, I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Well, I hope that right now all of our listeners out there are easily making acquiescent motions of their hands <laughs> and, and laughing at us for not understanding what that would be. But, well, you uh, got to uh, emphasize your idea of the correctness of any inference somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that one! I I thought that one that I posted on Patreon was uh, was right. baffling. This this one uh, that right takes the cake. Yeah, it's uh, you couldn't. I don't think you could fake that. Like, I mean, I, we've had some good fan fiction, obviously, by my by my horrible performance last week. But I, this would just be so hard to write because your t- instinct is to try to write something that makes sense. Like, it's just you to to put the pencil down at the end of that period and uh, think like I've done my job is the work of a madman. Yeah, the, I guess the the parentheticals is the takeaway. We'll see in the fan fiction today. <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the, so he moves on. Uh, so Adam is sort of like we've we've got a this crazy woman. We've got to do something. And uh, but before they start their plan, uh, Sir Nathaniel says, "Adam, are you heart whole? Quite heart whole in the matter of Lady Arabella." And that's heart W H O L E. So it. But this is an expression I've never heard before and uh, have no idea what he's asking. Um, but Adam, I think that that means, are you in love with her? And Adam's like, you know, could you, what does he say? Could you, Would you mind giving me the reason now? It will help. He, Adam says he's not heart whole. And then he says, uh, certainly, sir, my reason on which I can fully depend is that I love another woman. Also, 
Lady Arabella shot my mongoose and just like captured a guy into a pit. And clearly she's some sort of worm demon. So yeah, no, I'm not heart whole. And then, so he immediately says he's in love with another woman. And for some reason, this, I don't know where Sir Nathaniel's going with this, but he says, well, that clinches it. (laughs) I don't know what that clinches, but may I offer my good wishes and I hope my congratulations. Uh, Well, are you? I don't know. (laughs) Yes. To which we get the weirdly robotic reply. I am proud of your good wishes, sir. And I thank you for them. (laughs) I'm proud of your good wishes. <laughs> I don't know what's... I don't know. It's probably formal language we no longer understand. But I don't understand why him saying I'm not in love with Lady Arabella clinches anything. What is it clinching? Uh, that they can perceive... I mean, he's obviously not in love with her. He just He's describing what happened. Is, he, is Sir Nathaniel thinking that it's kind of like uh, he's the... The boy who throws rocks at a girl in the playground because he likes her, and so he's not huh. believing. Like she was really mean to me. She spit on me and pushed my tricycle over. And uh, really, are you sure you're not in love with her? <laughs> she dragged a guy down a well, and then she turned into a snake, and then she went up through a well-hung iron door. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds to me like you've got a little crush. She had blood marks on her face, hands, and throat. <laughs> Ooh, do I hear wedding bells? <laughs> that's that's the only thing i could come up with is that uh, that's what he's thinking is that he's you know he's he's so passionate about her that he's making up stories or something so he can be near i i don't know anyway, well to why, sir why, nathaniel's why? credit like him coming out with the news that he loves mimi who he's like watched be hypnotized twice is a uh, you know that's that's surprising <laughs> as well you know that's uh it's usually not how that works um you know, even in this day and age, I would assume. I assume you need to watch someone get hypnotized at least three times before you can declare your intent. Well, he's uh, more than that. I mean, he's sneaked quite a few times through her uh, the underbrush around her place and stuff. So <laughs> right. one does, you know, gain affection for one. You know, when you've used her her place as cover on a number of occasions. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they, uh, Nathaniel says like, you know, good. I, I've always liked Mimi, but then, uh, Adam says this chapter ends. It, it's no, uh, they doesn't end with a, a classic, uh, they went to bed, but it's pretty good. He says, I have reason to look on Lady Arabella as her enemy, Mimi's enemy. Her enemy? Yes. A rank and unscrupulous enemy who is bent on her destruction. Sir Nathaniel went to the door, looked outside it and returned, locking it carefully behind him. <laughs> end of chapter. Uh- uh, something, uh, very, uh, the elephant in the room, how well hung was the door that he went to? <laughs> right. Yeah. How can I read on? I'm, I'm on tenterhooks waiting right. for the door to either creak or he has to sort of push it uh, with his shoulder to get it back closed again. Just 30 seconds of just a horrible screeching and Adam, you know, wincing as he, uh, tries to, tries to make it happen, but doing it slowly makes it creak even more. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if that's in the audiobook. We probably should have looked into that. Damn. Ah, oh, we probably should have. It pre- in that they probably would insert uh, ads for his brother-in-law's uh, door hanging <laughs> business as well. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that ends the nineteenth uh, chapter as I uh, as I have it. Uh, we can do fanfic if you don't. Uh... Have anything no, else? I have nothing else. Let's do it. Okay. All right, we are back with uh, real or fanfic. Uh, I'm giving reading Mike these five excerpts this time. They could all be real from the last quarter of Lair of the White Worm, or they could be fanfic written by our listeners in an attempt to fool you. So let's get started with number one. 
Adam stared with all amazement. Her stalwart conduct in the face of such horror and adversity should not have astonished him so. It had been the very thing that had driven him to seek her hand. Nonetheless, contemplation of her flashing eyes, reflecting the fierce demeanor of her oriental stock, drove every prior memory from his head and bewildered him anew. <laughs> oh, it's a subtle one. A bit of bit of racism in there. Stock. Well done. Oh boy. All right. I'm gonna say that that is I don't know. I'm gonna say it's real. Okay. All right, uh, number two. The next morning, when Adam went to his host in the smoking room, Sir Nathaniel asked for him how he proposed to proceed with regard to keeping his vow. It is a difficult matter which you have undertaken. To destroy such a monster is something like one of the labors of Hercules, in that not only its size and weight and power of using them in little-known ways are against you, but the occult side is alone an unsurpassable difficulty. The worm is already master of all the elements except fire, and I do not see how fire can be used for the attack. It has only to sink into the earth in its usual way, and you could not overtake it if you had the resources of the biggest coal mine in existence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is what makes it so hard. Uh, Coal mining is... I don't know. I'm going to say it's fanfic, but as you can tell, my confidence level is very low. Yes. Um, here we go. Uh, Adam was the first onto the parapet, followed closely by the mongooses. Sir Nathaniel with his, (laughs) Sir Nathaniel with his more dignified pace was last. Adam was instantly kneeling over Mimi, lifting her head and chafing her wrists. It's all right, Sir Nathaniel. She has merely swooned. But my dear, where is Edgar Caswell? There is no way off the roof other than the one we just proceeded from, Sir Nathaniel puzzled. Mimi lifted her head weakly and gestured toward the reel of cord holding the string of the great kite. Sir Nathaniel's gaze moved from the reel along the cord toward the kite where he saw, outlined by the full moon, a small figure struggling. Heavens, my boy! He has sent himself up the kite string. (laughs) Well, I I didn't say fanfic, but I I mean, again, I hope to God not. Right. Uh, You know, Chekhov's kite. Uh, Number four, it seems we have all of us been deceived, observed Sir Nathaniel gravely. He continued, my heart grieves for the late late Lady Arabella and her consumption by the white worm. In many ways, though, our task is now made all the simpler and more plain. To slay such a monster, posing, as we had thought, in the form of a woman, would have been abhorrent and abominable, however necessary the deed. Disposing of a dumb beast, though it be monstrous, will be easier by far. Hmm. 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 Uh, not overreaching, so that's good, but I'll, I'll say real. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then we have the final one. Uh, Sir Nathaniel spoke from within, the gloom provided by the necessity of the tower's heavy curtains. Will the girl's nerves hold? How does she fare to your eyes? She does not quake when she has my attention, although might otherwise. I bid her try the dress, and it fits a charm, including the capelet and its secreted glass and electrics. I soothed her finely. I told her she is a cowled dove, and thus blessed by Columba himself, and this pleased her. The older man grunted. Sit and have a spot, and so fortified we will reel our bait out, and with some patience and clever luck, lure to us an ancient creature long due due for dispatching. Oh, also good, boy. There, yeah. See, 
towards the end of the book, everybody getting a little better, a little sharper. Uh, I'm going to say that's fanfic. Okay. I think I uh, misread secreted. I think it's secreted glass and electrics. Yeah. Whoops. I, I picked up on that, so I did not fault okay. you for that. Yes. Secreted. Well, this was a tricky one. This was a tricky one. Uh, number one. Uh, that was the, uh, Oriental stock. Uh, you said real. That was fanfic by Richard. Okay. <laughs> uh, number two, the biggest coal mine in existence, uh, that you said fanfic. That is real. Son of a... <laughs> <laughs> that was, I was, someone submitted that and then they, I was like, wow, this guy's good. And then at the end he revealed that that was, uh, that was fanfic. That was real. So I was like, wow. <laughs> um, we have number three, uh, he- sending himself up the kite string. That was fanfic by Chad. It was I didn't think he would be fooled by that, but it was entertaining. Uh, we got another one submitted by Trejan, which uh, ended up him sending a mongoose up the kite. Uh, so I <laughs> couldn't read both of those. But uh, uh, number four, you said real. That was fanfic by Melissa. That was oh, that was the one that was just very tricky. Uh, disposing of a dumb beast that will be monstrous will be easier. And then number five. That was you said fanfic. That was fanfic by Marie, the uh, ancient creature overdue for dispatching. But the capelet and secrety glass and uh, those uh, the last two had some very good Bram esque run on sentences. Ooh, so yeah, this uh, this brings my my average is is pretty poor on this one. <laughs> we Did had I one bone. Two? Yeah, yeah, I think you got right. two correct, and one of them was these, him sending himself up the kite string. Uh, we had one bonus one that was not going to fool you, but I wanted to share. Lady Arabella herself entered the room dragging behind her the gore-speckled scalp of the bonus poor groundskeeper. Throwing it to the floor before the two men, she coldly sneered, here is what remains of the last interloper who dared enter my grove uninvited. Chad turned to his companion. Damn it, boy, I told you that lady was no good. <laughs> <laughs> Dale looked at the bloody scalp and said, you got that right, partner, and I now guess we know who the real savages are here. Chad replied, I agree, Dale. The great spirit done messed up sending us here. I'll tell you that for free. That, that was by Tom. He says, I know that won't trick anyone. I just really miss Chad and Dale. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till, um, you know, after our civilization collapses and that piece of fanfic is the only thing that survives for right? them to try to piece together what we were all about. They've put it on a you know gold phonograph record and sent it into space for a civilization to discover. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, good job, everybody. Thank you for sending those in. Let's move on to chapter twenty, metabolism. Boy, that's a uh, that's like your uh, your textbook in uh, sci- the one uh, obligatory science class uh, in uh, college. Uh, you're reading that in chapter twenty, metabolism. Oh, crap. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's it's by far our most scientific chapter yet, with all sorts of airtight uh, theories and uh, just you know scientific proof, things we can just accept because Sir Nathaniel has told us them. It's a crazy chapter, <laughs> and it sort of lays it out nuts. what we have to believe in order for this uh, the world of this book to to happen. But uh, yeah, he sort of just says a bunch of stuff, and Adam uh, just accepts it. But he hangs it all on. I was disappointed in uh, in Bram here. Now I don't know if this the origin of this is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, or whether it was something he was quoting or para quoting, or. But he says, uh, we f- must fear nothing, no conclusion, however improbable, almost impossible it may be. Once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable must be the truth. That last thing is uh, Conan Doyle, right. famously said by yes. Sherlock Holmes and <laughs> quoted again and again. So the thing before that is a, a sad echo of it, but he hangs <laughs> everything upon that. So, you know, if, look, we've eliminated 
no possibilities, but right. let's go right for <laughs> conjecture. Let's pretend and... we have, and and everything we say therefore has to be true. <laughs> uh, it just saddened me to see uh, that quote so uh, sullied in in Bram's work. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah. He says we have a, then an eye account of what an account of what happened from an eyewitness whom we trust. That is yourself. <laughs> we also have another account written by Lady Arabella under her own hand. These two accounts do not agree. Therefore, we must take it that one of the two is lying. Apparently, sir. And the Lady Arabella is the liar. Apparently, as I am not. All right, good. I'm glad we've we've determined that. It's it's good to, uh, you know, in the book where we've seen her jump into a pit and reemerge, we need to have these two guys discuss in a drawing room uh, that, that the narrator all along has been seeing what he's been seeing. Yeah, you get this bizarre Socratic dialogue. Oh, yeah. Uh, after all of the stuff, you know, like, what are we to make then of that, sir? Why, she did not drag him down the well. It, and it just goes on and on. And uh, yeah, in the driest possible fashion after the only bit of action, uh, you know, action, but uh, impenetrable action, but action nonetheless. <laughs> he, she should at least be attempting it. But sure, here yeah. we are, damn it, back yeah. in the drawing room. Socratic is what I thought as he was doing it. And so he makes those two things, which are, sure, they're true. If you want to establish the very basis of truth, it's like these two things conflict. Uh, so one of you must be lying. So that makes sense logically. He then goes on to uh, talk about like the green lights in the well hole. And he goes on to make the claim, any unprejudiced person would accept the green lights to be the eyes of a great snake. <laughs> <laughs> this, this I, I had the full out cartoon. Oh well, sure, but oh, huh? <laughs> it is. It's like so. He's been he's been pushing this theory the entire book, and now he's just pretty much saying, "Well, clearly, this has to be the only conclusion." And Adam is sort of sitting there nodding along with it. He also says this leads us to the conclusion that because she said or inferred that there was no snake, we should look for one and expect to find it too. So his uh, his logic is just making leaps all over the place. It's 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 amazing. Yeah. Before that conclusion that you just read, there was this that I question. For my own part, I don't believe in a partial liar. This art <laughs> does not deal in veneer. A liar is a liar right through. Self interest may prompt falsity of the tongue, but if one proves to be a liar, nothing that he says can ever be believed. Wow. I, I mean. This makes zero sense. We, yeah, get into your own we, Socratic all, dialogue on that. We're all uh, we're all liars, and we know that you don't. That therefore, you're just a waste of a human being, <laughs> and will never tell the truth again. Right, you're incapable of uttering. You know, yeah, it's like uh, you've been cursed with opposite day. <laughs> yeah, where's the cereal? We don't have any cereal. Well, it's right Liar! here. Liar! <laughs> yeah, forked tongue devil. <laughs> oh, bizarre! But that's what they're hanging it all on. Yeah, well, uh, and then I, I always feared as he was reading this because he was talking about uh, evolution and scientific law. I was like, "Oh no, oh boy, <laughs> yeah, this is about to go horribly racist right. again." Isn't and so it? here's why Ulanga deserved that fate. Yes, it's called eugenics, my boy, <laughs> and it is the wave of the future, <laughs> which sadly was true. But uh, anyway, right? But like you, you might be questioning, as many of us were, the Sir Nathaniel's uh, credentials in this thing. But let's just put those questions to rest right away, because Mike, he has lived in a place with some good caves. 
<laughs> we've, I mean, you know, first we've heard that he was the president of the Mercian Archaeological Society, so we were impressed. But he has also for many years lived in Derbyshire, a country more celebrated for its caves than any other county in England. And <laughs> so, he, so he, he lived in a place with caves, therefore worm expert. It may have been, yep. of course, that some of them were originally worn by water, the caves. But in time, they all found a use when suitable for living monsters. So this would be like us living in San Diego uh, and then being like, well, we lived in a place with some of the finest surfing in a the country. Therefore, sea serpents. Right. And Don't question us. We lived there. <laughs> did we ever surf? <laughs> we did not. However, I attended uh, Mercian Archaeological Society meetings. And then... So now we've established, we're on bedrock now. Uh, caves, therefore worms, therefore. <laughs> so, you know, go back and trace it. There, there no mistakes have been made. Yeah. Um, a, sn- a snake would be a good illustration of this, for it is cold-blooded and therefore removed from the temptations which often weaken or restrict warm-blooded creatures. <laughs> All right. That just follows naturally right. from, yes. from caves. Right, but you know, I don't so, know what that means. The temptations of the snake and the warm-blooded people are tempted, but snakes are not. Yeah, well, Lady Arabella has been has been seeking a husband because she went bankrupt. She's after some of the most basest temptations <laughs> in society: wealth and love. <laughs> and she's a, a full-out liar, so uh, she lies about everything. Uh, I was delighted, though, to see that the worm of Lambton and the sp- and that of Spindleston Hugh was back. Yes. Yeah. If Woodhouse came in to uh, to guest write the, oh yeah, those uh, those would be good uh, if we ever doing a uh, a white worm themed dinner. Those would be two good uh, specialty cocktails. I think. <laughs> Get you another a worm of Lambton? No, no. Okay, switch it up, Spindleton Hugh. Uh, but yeah, so this is, uh, he's just more, more airtight logic. He says, um, you know, he's talking about these creatures, like, uh, let's suppose a monster in the early days of the world, suppose it to be of incalculable size and a strength quite abnormal. Suppose it is allowed to remain in one place, thus being removed from the accidents of interrupted development. So he's given a lot of supposing right there. Might not, uh, this creature in process of time in over ages, if necessary, have that rudimentary intelligence developed? There is no impossibility in this. It's only the natural process of evolution. So he's pretty much saying it's very hard to follow. It's very hard to follow. He invokes the worm of Lambton and Spindleston Hugh again. Uh, if a creature were to by own its own process of metabolism change much of its bulk for intellectual growth, we should at once arrive at a new class of creature, more dangerous perhaps than the world has ever any experience of. Uh-huh. <laughs> He just he's, he's just saying if you were if a if a creature if a large monster was sat in a cave for enough millennia it would start turning its physical bulk into intelligence and then therefore become that's what happened to Lady Arabella. I well let's go back to his scientific law that increase implies gain and loss of various kinds. <laughs> That's a well established. We all learned that in school. Sure, what yeah. What a thing gains in one direction, it may lose in another. That is uh. virtually meaningless. <laughs> may it not be that Mother Nature may deliberately encourage decrease as well as increase? 
also meaningless, that it may be an axiom that what is gained in concentration is lost in size. And then he goes into the worms of Lambton. So I, I can't follow it at all. But I think I think he's just throwing um, it's, you know, dust in your eyes. Uh, and by the time you wipe your eyes clean and can see right. again, you're like, you're supposed to believe. Therefore, right? Huh? <laughs> I, I guess so. Aha, more words. Here's words, words, words. I think it's kind of like it was close enough to when evolution had first been theorized, you know, by Darwin, that you could just use the word evolution and people to sort of keep up with it. Be like, oh, sure. And you could just attach any garbage to it. Sort of like how yes. in, the, in the 90s, people would be like, well, you know, cyberspace, just, you know, log on to the information superhighway. And, uh, you know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, well, sure. I'll just CD-ROM it. Um, and then I'll, I'll, my, I'll get my gigabytes. Um, (laughs) type of thing so i i assume that's what bram is doing here just uh trying not to seem like an idiot and using evolution to his uh his own plot uh, devices yeah but after that so that whole entire word salad of uh you know holes worms expansion yes (laughs) darwin um uh yeah not laws of nature uh he gets done and he says, would it not be well to resume the subject <laughs> later in the day? <laughs> uh, I personally was defended. You know, I want sleeping on it or nothing. None <laughs> of this getting his... back together at seven garbage. Speaking of Charles E. Harris, his answer is very much uh, Chad and Dale. I quite agree, sir. I'm in a whirl already and want to attend carefully to what you say so that I might try to digest it. To which I assume that Sir Nathaniel like snickers in his handkerchief. Like, you're trying to digest that bullshit I just slung at you. You're never going to get through that. But uh, sure, my boy. Yes, later on, later on. <laughs> yes, he bought it. He totally bought it. I got to. Oh God, I got to. I got to prep for our next meeting so I can have more stuff. I I thought that for sure after the the Spinston Hugh he was going to storm out of here and back to Australia. Right. Uh, but yeah, so they so in the story, uh, in the in the process of reading this, uh, this could be like in a movie. It could, this could be a commercial break. In the book, he says, "Yeah, let's get back together. I'm in a world already." And then it says, "So they got back together later." There's no points in them breaking. There's no reason. It continues the conversation exactly as if that hadn't happened. It's like that time that uh, Edgar Coswell woke up and then went back to bed um, in the spirit in the period of two sentences. So they get back together. Adam starts theorizing of his own. He's had some time to get his world together. He says that uh, a tradition says that these monsters lived in the marsh of the Eath and came east and came up to a cave in diana's grove which was also called the lair of the white worm such creatures may have grown down as well as up i don't know what that means um but uh they come to the conclusion that lady arabella hates mimi because adam loves her and uh therefore they need to um i guess secret mimi away so that lady arabella cannot get her um and then they they talk about uh weird british law about killing the white worm did you get to this part that was yeah that was unbelievable that so (laughs) we've we've decided they they you know let it be resolved that she is an ancient somehow she's an ancient serpent who can see in the dark with her snake eyes Mm -hmm. and she hates my betrothed yep well soon i well yeah yeah, we get it hates the woman that i love um and so 
we have to, the beast must be destroyed. Okay, gavel the meeting closed. <laughs> and then the next paragraph is, there were all sorts of legal cruxes to be thought out, not only <laughs> regarding <laughs> taking the life, even of a monstrosity in human form, but also of property. Ah, <laughs> uh, British property law. That's yeah. what we wanted right yeah. at this point. She owned the ground she moved in according to British law, which I guess they were just gaping holes in British law about mongoose murder and death pits and all that stuff. And they, so basically it's a tick of his. If something is set up, he, Bram Stoker gets nervous and he either makes them go to bed or <laughs> he stops it and makes sure that he has the, the law is proper or something. Like he can't continue to write. He just has no ability to do it. I feel like he panics and just says, I, I have to get back to my own knowledge, which is just dry crap. So yeah. here's some of that. Uh, uh, yeah, and so I'll, try to, I'll, I'll try to figure a way back into it, but I, I can't do it now. I, I, you know, but that's I know. like if you were doing a, if he was doing a, an improvised one-man show, he would be like, end scene. You know? But he's, he is writing a book, an exercise that you know, probably 99% of the time does not take place in real time. So like yeah. these weird panicked asides were like, sweep the scene. Like, you know, it's like, no, like, just f figure out a better way to end it. That now they, just, they decide they have to stop talking because they hear his uncle's footsteps echoing down the hall. Yeah, and this leads to one of those classic sentences. Before he spoke again, Sir Nathaniel had made up his mind that he must try to postpone decisive action. So he's made up his mind to postpone <laughs> action until the circumstances on which they depended, uh, M dash, which, after all, comma, were only problematical, M dash, should have been tested satisfactorily, comma, one way or another. Oh my God. The comma inside the M dash parenthetical is a, uh, you know, you've got to tip your hat at some point in time. Ah, oh. uh, and then you get the weird sentence. When he did speak, Adam at first thought that his friend was wavering or on his intention or funking the responsibility. <laughs> yes, right. He was about to uh, to drop the uh, George Clinton's P-Funk bomb on the whole thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so the chapter ends. Do you have the, the last sentence? This is uh, a great chapter end. Yeah. Uh, we must wait for the night. I hear my uncle's footsteps echoing down the hall. Sir Nathaniel nodded his approval. <laughs> end of chapter. <laughs> I was wondering if as he nodded his approval, his mouth had, was still hardened and his eyebrows had come down till they met. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess we'll, oh. have to, we'll have to wait and see about that. I, I love that that's a, uh, you know, that's kind of a standard joke that we use of people nodding their approval at other people's right. odd behavior. And I love <laughs> that it showed up in the book. <laughs> yes. Just the silence. Yeah. It's like that uh, gif of Robert Redford in, uh, in uh, Jeremiah Johnson just nodding. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, we get to chapter 21, Green Light. Uh, which uh, for for fans of uh, Uncle Salton, you're you're bound to be disappointed because it starts off by saying, "When old Mister Salton had retired for the night, Adam and Sir Nathaniel returned to the study." So they don't uh, they don't sleep; they just leave the room, wait for an old man to go to bed, and then come back in. Ah, uh, and they light cigars, and they're at it again. Yeah, if, if we told you that, you would say that is not true. It is. I hope you're reading along and can tell you we are not making this up. They're yes. back. To the, cigars and talking for the third time today, they've they've remet in this in this study. It's it's pretty it's very very funny. Um, so they 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 are sort of like um, hashing out what their plan is going to be. 
Um, and he says, the semi-human monster out of the pits hates and means to destroy us all. You and me, certainly, and probably your uncle, <laughs> which was, I thought it was nice of them to, uh, nice of them to toss in. I, uh, I pictured, uh, like, uh, Uncle Salton had just gone to bed, so they hear a distant voice, like, not asleep yet? What are you right. talking about? Yeah. Uh, what get, the- go to bed, granduncle. You're, you're not in this book. No, no. What, 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 what the- Killing me? What the hell have you guys been doing while I was off visiting with, you know, the, the mongoose merchant? I, I, I leave town for a day and all of a sudden I'm marked for death by the lamps and worm? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> you know, I read before I actually fall asleep. I've heard a lot of the garbage going on in that yeah. room. Very hard to sleep with the sound of walnuts cracking. It sounds like you're almost doing it aggressively in there. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's I thought that was great that uh, he they're just like tossing him a bone to include him in there, um, and they 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 talk about their they they can't murder her because of the law and something like that. They're gonna have to like make something happen, and then we get one of the greatest things we've ever read, one of the greatest passages. Uh, a lot of people submitted this for their dumb sense of the week, but uh, Adam is saying our first difficulty is to know where to begin. I never thought this fighting and antediluvian monster would be such a complicated job <laughs> this one is yeah. a woman with all of a woman's wit combined with the heartlessness of a cocotte she has the strength and impregnability of a diplodocus <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i mean you know i i've always gone around saying that fighting antediluvian monsters if i ever had the opportunity i would i would take it with ease and, and dispatch it very quickly so um i guess adam was the same way he never thought it would be complicated yeah but the, I, I guess there are twists and turns and certainly there's british property law to be considered uh, <laughs> but then we get to, this would have been this would have fooled me as fanfic uh, that is so. So they're talking about her character, uh, the the worm again. But being feminine, she will probably <laughs> overreach herself. Now, Adam, it strikes me that as we have to protect ourselves and others against feminine nature, our strong game will be to play our masculine against her feminine. Perhaps we had better sleep on it. <laughs> she is a thing of the night, and the night may give us some ideas. Again, that's just science, guys. She's right. a thing of the night, therefore... Go to bed. Right. She's uh, a woman, therefore maybe we should, uh, you know, read a Cosmo magazine and get some insight into the way their mysterious minds work. <laughs> but, I mean, I just, oh, yeah, man. I just, the the idea that they have they have taken a break to wait later in the day, they've taken a break when they heard his uncle's footsteps, and now they are finally turning in for the night to, of course, wake up and immediately go right back to this room as if nothing has happened. There is there is no reason any of this couldn't have been in one conversation. They have broken up into four separate entities. Again, he panics. He doesn't know what to do. <laughs> so, yeah, they go to bed. Uh, they both turned in. Oh, yeah, Sir Nathan- he knocks on Sir Nathaniel's door is the next. Oh, oh right. I guess this is thing. a different room. This is the bedroom. This is not the study. He, he knocks on his door and wakes him up in bed. He's like a room yeah. service guy. Yes, and then we switch gears a little bit, and we get to uh, his his love for Mimi. Yeah, he. This is what he came up with as he pondered uh, the 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 way a woman works in the night. He came in here, and all of a sudden, his theory is that he wants to marry her, and he wants this old guy to go over there and propose for him. 
um you know could you wear uh instead of wearing those uh, flip-flops that show your old yellow toenails could you wear some closed toe shoes as you go over there to uh, (laughs) ask my wife to marry yeah right marry me (laughs) i i still don't get why he can't go himself yeah, it struck me as, you know, in, in middle school, it would be like, you know, have have someone go and, and ask her to the dance for me type of thing. And I guess that was the uh, that was the the way things were working in, in Bram's era. And he says he uh, but he says, I already decided that you should do it and I hope you won't say no. Um, so so Nathaniel's <laughs> pretty much stuck on this. Like, right. I, I'm I'm going over to ask this girl to marry you. <laughs> Look, I already made up my mind. I mean, you could say no if you want to be a dick. Right. But uh, but no, Sir, Sir Nathaniel's yeah. into it. He's smiling at him in a fatherly way, um, which, you know, again, reiterated that we do not need there to be two old guys in this book. They're essentially <laughs> Chad and Dale interchangeable. Um, yeah. And he, so he's down with it. He goes over there. Uh, she says, of course, yes. And she, uh, you know, with an impulse that she could not check, she put her lips to his and kissed him. So I was just imagining this is some sort of Sir Nathaniel walks back in the door and he's like, she said yes. And she asked me to deliver something to you. And he starts approaching him to, you know, grab him and pass the kiss along like a game of telephone (laughs) or something. Uh, But this uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere, this does not inspire confidence. Sir Nathaniel had a confused recollection of detail and sequence, <laughs> though the main facts stood out in memory boldly and clearly. Yeah. How long were you over there? What did you like? How was there confusion? You asked me to marry her, and she said yes. What are we? What are we missing the details on here? She's a quarter mile down the road, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, and we yeah. kind of figure. Sure, yeah, that in our minds, yes. And you know, if the old guy is walking back and forth, then it must be. And his uh, description of waiting is just ugh. Uh, Adam Salton's recollection was of an illimitable weight filled with anxiety, hope, chagrin, all dominated by a sense of the slow passage of time and accompanied by vague fears. (laughs) Is he doing the, uh, like cartoon, like chewing on his fingernails, like it's a typewriter and then resetting them and chewing them again and the pieces (laughs) flying off. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, you, the alternative was just going back to sleep to pass the time. <laughs> uh, and then smack in the middle of a paragraph describing Adam watching Sir Nat go off to propose marriage. Uh, what What is the timeline here? So this is in the middle of it. Mimi could not for a long time think at all or recollect anything except that Adam loved her and was saving her from a terrible danger. So this is in the middle of that. So she can't remember what is currently happening to her. (laughs) And then when she had time to think later on, she wondered when she had any ignorance of the fact that Adam loved her and that she loved him with all her heart. Wow. So during the thing, she was trying to remember that Adam was, she was trying to remember what was happening to her at the time but that Adam loved her. And then later when she had time to think about what she remembered... She had ignorance of the fact that Adam loved her. I mean, that's that's so close to having her, you know, she feels a goofy grin trying to work its way onto her face. That You know, (laughs) she's unsure that she could remember something or why she loved him. That's yeah, that's a a, for a story where we're required to believe the narrator narrator that uh, worms exist and stuff like that. We certainly get a lot of narrators who are unreliable about their own basest emotions. 
And also, you thought that uh, you thought that Bram Stoker was bad at just sort of describing how men act, which he's he's clearly uh, women. He has <laughs> he just drives the uh, the whole story into a pole and leaves it smoking. He, I have no idea how women think or behave. I'm just uh, here. You go. Well, it's not night, so how are we expected to understand the way that they uh, true these, these true. women of the night are? Um, so yeah, they, they, she agrees to do it. So they decide that, you know, where, where better to have your, your loving ceremony of matrimony and what safer place than doom tower. So they, yeah, uh, I just couldn't help think, uh, honeymoon at the doom tower. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Which, which they start just calling doom at some points in time, like, which would be a McConaughey way to do it. They're just like, let's head on up to doom. You know, the way you'd like to drag a cooler up on the doom. <laughs> uh, so they, they do, they do get her off there. And, uh, I don't know where doom tower is in relation to all these things. It doesn't matter, but they have the, the fast travel enabled to get to there too. Um, and they sort of set up what's about to happen because they, they they look out into the woods near Doom Tower where they see, of course, a mysterious green light uh, over the top of the trees. And uh, and Adam is staring at it and, and realizing that he you know, must be prepared to protect his wife, his new wife, against anything that happens there. The green light, I stopped trying to figure out what he was trying to describe with it. Um because that becomes a, a major player in this thing is the following this green light. But he, he has ooh, his ability to describe uh, trees and things uh, is is much better even than his ability <laughs> to describe how this light interacts with them. Yeah. Over yeah. the tops of them was seen a green light, something like the danger signal at a railway <laughs> crossing. It seemed at first quite still, so it seemed still, but presently when Adam's eyes became accustomed to it, he could see that it moved as if trembling. I, I, don't, I don't know. Right. So it's just there's a green light out somewhere. And right. Gonna go. That could be Bram sort of uh, doing his... Uh... Lord Nathaniel's, I've lived in a town with many caves. That could just be his. Yeah, I've seen a railroad crossing light. Like, you know, I guess if you uh, maybe had written a bestseller, you might be able to uh, go out and look at the railway lights yourself as opposed to working your 14-hour <laughs> shifts in the mines. So, yeah, it's good to be Bram, baby. Yeah, my pool is heated. I'm Bram Stoker. <laughs> uh, that's that's all I have for that one. Um, I think the 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 encounters we have coming up are worth some time, so we, I think we should move on. I have nothing more, yeah. Chapter 22, At Close Quarters. So At Close Quarters has some, again, just horrible descriptions of what should be a fairly monumental occasion, which is them seeing the actual white worm for the first time. Um, but before that, we get some we get some good description of this creature's abilities, because we're still unclear, really, what is going on with it. Uh, it says, The white worm, in her own proper shape, certainly has great facilities for the business on which she is now engaged. Very vague. <laughs> What, do we need some? Do we need some clarification? I think we do. So he says she can look into windows of any ordinary kind. So that's as it as the white worm was sitting in that cave hole for thousands of years, transforming its uh, physical strength into mental strength. That's what it was getting the ability to do: look into windows of any ordinary kind. What are your superpowers, uh, white worm? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can look into windows of any ordinary kind. Oh, what if they have that lead lattice over them? No, I can't look through those. Don't be an idiot. Yeah. Come on. I haven't put in 5,000 years of evolution. I've only put in three. But then, yeah. so we so talk about that. We get this question of, of, of what it's actually able to do in its nature, and it is extremely confusing. So we just saw her fall into a pit and be perfectly fine. 
and we're convinced that she's a thousand something year old supernatural being. Uh, but then they go on, Sir Nathaniel goes on to say this, so long as her ladyship uh, does not know whereabout I am, I shall have as much safety as he remains to us. Bear in mind, my darling, that we cannot be too careful. Sir Nathaniel realized Adam was right. The white worm had no supernatural powers and could not harm them until she discovered their hiding place. I, I was baffled by this. I have so many questions. It's it just, they just sort of declare these things and uh, they, you know, they they provide no evidence, but then they start directly conflicting each other. So what are we to make of dragging people down into bottomless pits, turning uh, into snake or whatever she does? That's what I... Look, emitting a I glow? This, this should be an elemental question by now. Is she synonymous with a giant white worm? Does she turn into it or they, does she command a white worm? Sir Nathaniel has just started calling her the white worm. Like that's, he's just like, I'm not even going to give her the dignity of calling her Lady Arabella. She's the white worm to me. So yeah, I, the only thing that I've seen is that one illustration of the tall white shaft, which is a huge white worm. So I, I, no supernatural abilities to me seems, and they just discussed her crazy evolution and super intelligence or whatever. So, uh, it's exhausting. But again, it's but again, it's her. It is not like sh- there's not Dracula and then you know c- controlling other creatures. She and the white worm are synonymous, correct? I just want to, yes, want to nail this one down. There is no two people. She does I, transform. She transmogrifies. I believe that is what happens. The white worm. That is its non supernatural ability is to take the form of a human woman. <laughs> okay. So again, this the white worm who transforms into a thing that towers over trees has no supernatural powers and could not harm them until she discovered their hiding place. Okay. Yeah. Got it's like that? it's like listening to the axe cop boy, you know, make up a story yeah. as he goes, where like now now all of a sudden his his hands are tubas, like, okay, sure, like <laughs> Yes. That cancels out what I said earlier. Like, no, you weren't listening. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, Bram. She has no supernatural powers. Um, I like this line just because it reminded me of one of my favorite movie lines. Uh, At the sight, Adam's heart fell. The danger of the desperate enterprise which he had undertaken burst upon him. But this feeling was shortly followed by another which restored him to himself. A fierce, a fierce loathing and a desire to kill such as he had never experienced again. And it just reminded me of a line in... Uh, Hot Shots Part Do, where a guy who had been uh, sort of freaking out says to Charlie Sheen, he says, I can kill again. You've given me a reason to live. (laughs) (laughs) So Bram is very, I mean, Adam is very upset here. But then once he realizes he wants to kill, he is uh, instilled with a a new faith in humanity. Uh, So right after that, just to show people who, again, aren't reading it, what we're why we're confused about this so our rules up to, have been explained so far but we get some new new rules here uh as nathaniel further clarifies we know nothing whatever <laughs> of this creature's power of hearing or smelling though i presume that both are of no great strength as to seeing we may presume the opposite but in any case we must try to keep in the shade behind the tree trunks the slightest error would be fatal to us. <laughs> what the hell are you saying, you Just addled old dream of utter bullshit that he's saying we can presume. I mean, it's like the opposite of Sherlock Holmes. So yeah, he presumes hearing and smelling, uh, no great strength. Seeing, super saint, super sight. 
but also any sort of movement by us from behind the trees, she'll eat us alive immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Ah, just, yeah. So that's what we're dealing with, and that's why we're confused, and I think everyone reading it would be confused about what exactly they are fighting. Yeah, it we, doesn't get any clearer. It's very tough to say. And so then they go out and actually encounter it, and, it, and nothing is helped by what they see. I think just I'm just going to read some of the description. They, they venture out at night into the woods f- following the green light. Uh, Adam sought the green light in the sky. It was still in about the same place, but its surroundings were more visible. It was now at the summit of what seemed to be a long white pole, <laughs> near the top of which were two pendant white masses like rudimentary arms or fins. The green light, strangely enough, did not seem lessened by the surrounding starlight, but had a clearer effect and a deeper green. So Adam's looking at this through his opera glasses. While he looks at this, the nostrils were assailed by a horrid stench, something like which rose from the well hole in Diana's Grove. And now they they look at the, the immense towering mass that seemed snowy white. It was tall and thin. The lower part was hidden, but they could follow the tall white shaft and duplicate green lights which topped it. As they looked, there was a movement. The shaft seemed to bend, and the light of green light descended amongst the trees. So there's no, like, face. There's no gaping maw. Uh, there's just, like, these fins and this and this uh, shaft. And then, then that's the worm. But it has a... It's sort of coiled at the bottom. Yeah, it's yeah, coiled like a, a snake in a snake charmer's basket or something. And it uh, it seems to see them and start following them. Um, and so in my mind, this is towering above the trees, probably because of that one illustration we saw. But it's, it's, you know, it's the worm. It's her. She is. This is the white stuff manifested into its into its purest form. Yes. <laughs> and. It runs after them. Well, yes, it chases so, after them. So how will Adam and the uh, 80-something-year-old man escape this? This this uh, supernatural or possibly no supernatural abilities at all monster rushing towards them? Uh, they just run away. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, out, they outrun it. Back to Doom Tower. Problem solved. And what even was their plan? I don't know. So let's, let's go out and confront what we think is a giant supernatural worm. Oh, there it is. Run. <laughs> so <laughs> could have just stayed in the Doom Tower, guys. Yeah. Draw the shades. It can't look through a shaded window. It can't even look through a non-normal window. <laughs> so put some of that, uh, you know, that film up on your window and you're safe. Maybe they wanted to go like Grizzly Man, just like stick their hands in its poo or something. Like they could have just. <laughs> <laughs> it's still warm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is a, it is a puzzling thing. I think they just maybe realized they were in over their head and had to get back to the house with the non-normal windows or something, but it's a good thing the, uh, octogenarian's able to keep up a a brisk pace, especially because he had just walked to, uh, to their house to ask her to marry him so recently. Yeah. So, all right, there's the, the confrontation. They run, uh, end of chapter. Yep. And, uh, (laughs) I I don't have anything else until we get to chapter 23. Chapter 23, some true confrontations. Chapter 23 is called In the Enemy's House. So you know it's going to get good. They're, they're finally like going to confront Lady Arabella. Uh, we get more sort of exp- exp- exposition about the white worm from Sir Nathaniel, but uh, it, it really gets kicked into gear when, when Lady Arabella asks them all to tea. And he says, uh, ah, this is an old trick we learned early in diplomacy, Adam, to fight on ground of your own choice. It is true she suggested the place on this occasion, but by accepting it, we make it ours. What? 
<laughs> so what? He's, he's just completely making up everything as he goes. We should fight on our own turf. But since she invited us to her turf, it be, then becomes our turf by my crazy old old man logic. Uh, yeah, so when the Starks accepted the invitation to the Red Wedding, they <laughs> got the upper hand. Yes, <laughs> yes very much. Uh, <laughs> uh, before that, though, when they get the letter, Sir Nathaniel's reaction, Ha! said Sir Nathaniel, from the White Worm. I expected something of the kind. <laughs> <laughs> you expected the letter from the gigantic snake that chased you through the woods the night before? <laughs> oh, the white are, are worm. We... Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if she had been really cunning, she would have sent one of those cheese and fruit baskets. That would have... <laughs> yes, by buying this overpriced collection of cheese and fruit instead of assembling it on her own, which she has played right into our hands. Oh. Uh, he, uh... So he clarifies again about her strengths. In spite of her vast bulk and abnormal strength, she is afraid to attack openly. After all, she is only a snake and with a snake's nature, which is to keep low and squirm and proceed by stealth and cunning. Again, we have no idea how they know that. She will never attack when she can run away, although she knows well that running away would probably be fatal to her. All right. All of that bullshit needs unpacking, but the next (laughs) sentence destroys it because Sir Nathaniel says, what is the letter about? (laughs) So all these conjectures about this snake that chased them through the woods. Oh, what did she write us? Yeah. Now that we... Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I I come in, you know, Dad, I got my college admission letter finally. Ah, college admission letters. Well... It's true that they uh, often consider a multitude of rubrics when admitting you or not, and uh, truthfully, they may offer financial aid. Dad, can I just open the goddamn letter? I <laughs> yeah. this is the biggest plot development we've had so far. <laughs> yes, <sighs> but yeah, uh, so they uh, they 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 know all this stuff. So he's making things up, and uh, as as they plan to go over, they've prepared like a series of of signals for them to. Uh, in case things start happening, and Nathaniel has given him signals to uh, for Adam to obey, um, and I think they they head on over there. Him, uh, Adam, Nathaniel, and Mimi all go to tea. Yes, and then we get my favorite. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, Saint Crispin's Day speech, Henry V. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. we're all familiar with "We few, we happy few, we band mm-hmm. of brothers." Here's uh, as they prepare to meet uh, the the white worm on her own turf. Here's uh, Sir Nathaniel's pep talk. Here's his, uh, today is a red day, a sore day, and the sun rises. Uh, Here's Sir Nathaniel. I have arranged with Adam certain signals which may be necessary if certain eventualities occur. These need be nothing to do with you directly, but bear in mind that if I ask you or Adam to do anything, do not lose a second in the doing of it. We must try to pass off such moments with an appearance of unconcern. In all probability... Nothing requiring such care will occur. <laughs> forward, forward, men! Let us meet her on the field of battle. But it would be in probability, nothing requiring such care will occur. But, but if it does, hand signals, huh? <laughs> Fully prepared. Not even like a thing to rehearse them or like. So wait, when you when you touch your nose on the left side and then pat your head, that means you know stab the white worm. No, no, no that means <laughs> that means like go to the bathroom and uh, we'll meet there. We'll both excuse our. It's yeah, it's just yeah, they have no plan. They might as well just you know be fully unprepared to go into this the lair of the enemy. 
are these going to be more of your subtle, uh, obsequious hand gestures while I'm making speeches, like those things, or are they going to be? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, can we do we rehearse them at all? No, that probably won't even come up right. if we meet the worm. But it does. Um, they they go over there. They are. Uh... In the woman's house where he has seen her murder, Ulanga, she's killed his mongoose. And then so they, they do not mention any of those things. They just act like nothing is happening. He even sees the door that led to the pit that Ulanga fell into. And it just sort of um, makes no mention of its hungness or uh, any of the insane encounters they've had. And then this is another thing that's very hard to sort of understand um, what is happening. But we'll just have to read it to you um, and you will have to envision it yourself tea was in progress when mimi suddenly started up with a look of fight fright on her face at the same moment the men became cognizant of a thick smoke which began to spread through the room a smoke which made those who experienced it gasp and choke so it was not one of those easy to breathe types of smokes that uh that in uh seep into a room and so yes, then, and so the smoke is happening, and then we get the those who experienced it. it it's currently <laughs> happening, right? It's, yes, yes. It, so they are experiencing it, right? Not it does not say the guards put on their gas masks as they had planned, type of thing. Right, and then so read on. So that this this smoke somehow turns Mimi like this. She's been she's beautiful, but she's also like steely eyed in the face of adversity. This turns her into like Mr. Magoo or Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Uh, the draft from the open door swayed. She, she's like running around. The draft from the open door swayed uh, the thin silk curtain toward her, and in her fright, she tore down the curtain, which enveloped her from head to foot. So she's covered like a ghost now, running. So she ran through the still open door, heedless of the fact that she could not see where she was going. So she's just running around um, like she's been, you know, uh, trapped in a cartoon by some, you know, a guy dropped a curtain on her. Yeah, just, I chose Mr. Bean. But, okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, she's like, you know, going to tend banana cream pies it down the stairs. Uh, just before her lays the black orifice of the well hole, which, of course, she could not see with the silk curtain around her head. The floor was extremely slippery. We get this description again. Something like thick oil had been spilled where she had to pass. And close to the edge of the hole, her feet shot from under her, and she stumbled forward towards the well hole. When Adam saw Mimi slip, he flung himself backwards, still holding her. His weight told, and his weight told, and he dragged her up from the hole, and they fell together on the floor outside the zone of slipperiness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it ends with the zone of slipperiness, one of the best things that has appeared in this book so far. But we're led to believe this was sort of a plan. Because the, they thick oil had been spilled around the hole, so she just banked on, you know, inflate, you know, s seeping smoke into the room, and banks on Mimi freaking the hell out, running around until she envelops herself in a curtain, and then sprinting towards the zone of slipperiness and falling into the pit. Like Wiley e. Coyote is like way too complicated, way too impractical. I uh, this is baffling. I didn't even I don't even think I understood that that was a plot of hers. Uh now that you mention it, I'm, I'm sure that's what he's trying to convey. Yeah. Uh, but just the fact that oil had been spilled or in the zone of slipperiness is the only thing that indicated that to me. Well, that and the smoke being released, but you would, you know, mo most of the time when you release smoke into a chamber, it usually just knocks everybody out. So that that was a second chamber. So they run back through where they were having tea, right? Where the footmen and everything were standing. Uh -huh. And they rush out through the open door into the sunlight, Sir Nathaniel close behind them. 
they were all pale except the old diplomatist who looked both cool and calm. <laughs> uh, so they turned to re-enter the house. Oh, yeah. So so they've just been, you know, they've clearly she's attempted to murder them. It does not come as a surprise because it's happened to other people at least three times in this book. And they uh, their instinct is to walk back inside and go back to the tea. And there's a slop basin <laughs> full of half-burned brown paper over which tea had been poured. Yeah, and Lady Arabella's okay, face Okay, so that's has, where we learn. Yeah, yeah. Her, her face had blanched a deadly white, now resumed her ministrations at the tea board as though nothing unusual had happened. So yeah, I, I guess in, there was a slop basin. Um, we've all got one. Uh, where she lit, had lit a fire in, and now she's like casually trying to pour tea over it to put it out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, there, there we go. Uh, they do not say what the hell just happened, or um, you, you crazy woman, we're leaving. Uh, no, they, that, they, they. Yeah, that's about as Spartan as you can get. You, you know, it'd be like uh, if you were in one of those dining rooms. Sometimes you see a house, and there's a uh, uh, there's a to- uh, bathroom, you know, this uh, a single bathroom right off the dining room. We see them in our Nashville house. <laughs> yes, they're always Someone there. went in there and just uh, started doing a bowl yeah. ringer and did uh, not quickly out. make her toilet. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and that went on for uh, 15 minutes, and uh, then they got out of there and turned on the uh, the overhead fan and came out doing the whoo, yeah. and, every- and, and everyone just went back to yeah to cracking the walnuts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that, but with murder attempts, uh, and yeah, everyone just sort of acts like nothing has gone on and is moving on to tea. And then we get the, this. Is, this was by far the clearest indication that Lady, Lady Arabella was a a, a evil monster. Uh, when tea was over, Lady Arabella put her arm around Mimi's waist, strolled with her into an adjoining room where she collected a number of photographs which were scattered about, and sitting down beside her guest, began to show them to her. So she's whipping out her old vacation pictures. Um, and so, yeah, the, I, the attempted murder did not turn me against her, but that really did. <laughs> that is pretty evil, yeah, especially since it was, uh, you know, uh, it was actually not a very exciting thing. They went to Indianapolis, and so the photos were like, well, right. here's us, uh, you know, we had a really nice dinner this night. And, oh, God. <laughs> this was the park where, I think it was this one. Uh, this is the park, yeah, this might be the park where, um, where, uh, I guess was it Lincoln who went? Th- no, some politician gave a speech here once. Um, anyway, it's too bad that she didn't have a husband to be going. That was Sunday. Correcting her, we didn't her do right that now. on Saturday. That Trivial was Sunday. <laughs> right. Suddenly, five minutes later, you're still looking at the picture. <laughs> yes. And yeah, you say, uh-huh. uh huh. Believe it or not, this has happened to me within uh, recent memory, and <laughs> this is. <laughs> Uh, it was a uh, quite an experience. I was not bailed out on it by someone who could have bailed me out. So, <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> it was. Yeah. Uh, they, they, I took one for the team. Um, and so they, they show her the pictures, and uh, they, what is she? What happens? They, they flee. Uh, I just. Oh yeah. The, oh no. Late- the, the lights dim. Right. Yes. So Lady Arabella tried to show Mimi some photographs. She freaked out. Adam and Sir Nat grabbed her, ran out of the place, threw her into the carriage. Yeah. And then it concludes they rode home, slept, and didn't talk to one another at breakfast. <laughs> that's, that's Well, so they, 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 I guess silent breakfasts are a thing. I guess, was that, a, you just didn't speak to sort of start your day that way? 
I, I've never heard of that before, but okay. okay. And maybe he's, he's really world building here. So silent <laughs> breakfast are a thing. It's like a twilight zone where you wake up and that's the only thing that's changed. Um, but then, so they, when they finally do start speaking, Mimi, believe it or not, speaks bitterly of every aspect. Um, she had not forgotten and never would the occasion when to harm Lilla, uh, Lady Arabella had consorted even with Ulanga. As a social matter, she was disgusted with her for following up to the rich landowner, throwing herself at his head so shamelessly was how she expressed it. She was interested to know that the great kite still flew from Caswall's tower. Oh, right! That thing! How's, uh, <laughs> we just got through a quarter of the book without any mention of the kite that has been flying, uh, silencing the entire countryside, uh, so yeah, I hope it's still there too, because, you know, that kite was my favorite character now that we think about it. But what I don't understand that placement of that sentence. What is so Mimi is speaking bitterly of all of this that occurred and that she had uh this lady Arabella is so awful that she even hung around with Ulanga. Uh she was disgusted with her for, you know, throwing herself at that guy. Y- yeah. And then she was interested to know that the great kite still flew. What? Who <laughs> who to- just told her that? Right. And, and then, so I guess she's speaking, she's talking about her bitterness and everything, and then it ends with this. I posted this on Patreon because I, I do not know what this means. But beyond such matters, she did not try to go. Real strong sentence construction. <laughs> the only comment she made was of strongly expressed surprise at her ladyship's cheek in ignoring her own criminal acts and her impudence in taking it, it for granted that others had overlooked them also. End of chapter. Chapter <laughs> N. What does that mean? Do you have any idea? Does anyone have any idea what that means? So she's talking right now. She's bitterly going on about this woman. And then says the only comment she made was of strongly expressed surprise. And her ladyship is Arabella, I guess. Yeah, it has to be. Of her cheek, her cheekiness, then, I guess, in ignoring her own criminal acts. So, Whose so, criminal acts? I think they must have filled her in that, that Lady Arabella killed Ulanga. Um, her, so she wants her to not ignore her own criminal acts? She, she is upset that Lady Arabella would um, just take it for granted that others might ignore her acts. I guess the fact that they all of them just went over there and let her try to kill them uh, and then went right back to tea. Like, is, is she exp- she's, she's wishing they had called her out on it? And, she, and she's wishing that others had said to other people maybe she's sort of she's committing criminal acts she's maybe she's like doing a a a passive aggressive like well maybe if someone had said something to her about her criminal acts instead of letting her take it for granted that we overlooked them and like looking pointedly at adam um (laughs) i don't know i think it's hilarious that she brings up uh lady arabella helping edward edgar coswell try to hypnotize her sister after everything that has just happened after she almost fell into the zone of slipperiness because that's, you know, <laughs> it's like um, it's like Ronald Goldman's father being like, hate that OJ guy. Oh, I can understand how you must. Yeah, he stiffed my son on a tip one time. Well, yes. uh, you know, <laughs> sure, that's not a kind thing to do. But uh, he, he, she just literally, you were inches away from falling into a pit because she smoked you out of a room and oiled the ground to try to trap you. 
Did not like those uh, Hertz rental car ads that that guy did. <laughs> right. Not a fan. Yeah, they were not funny. I just, you know, maybe the first time, but you had to see him for so often, you know, switch him up. Yeah. Wow. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. So uh, here we are. Cheek has been uh, cheek has been expressed. Impudence. Uh, taking for granted that others had overlooked cheek is also on the table. <laughs> things are a sizzling. The pot is boiling over. Yeah, well, things are supernatural or maybe not at all. So it's uh, we've got a lot to determine in the final thing. What will happen to the kite? Um, will anything final be run up its string? You know, will, the, will we get the sound of birds back? Um, will will a contractor come in and not only uh, well hang their doors, but install windows that are not ordinary and therefore they're fully safe from the possibly not supernatural creature uh yeah and will her uh will she retrieve her ermine uh collar with emerald studded into it which she some that was sort of her excuse for why ulanga attacked her is that he wanted her fur collar so i hope she gets it back that's it sounded like a nice piece of a nice garment certainly Um, we know that uh that letters will be written Things will be discussed and then napped upon. Um, so we got a lot to look forward to. Right. Uh, but before that, we can read some dumb sentences. A sentence begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big, big. A sentence. All right. So dumb sentences of the week. We have a lot of these this time because this was a very dumb section. As always, a lot of these come from our Patreon supporters, people who we deeply appreciate, who ch- uh, chip in. Uh, as little as a dollar every month, but five dollars gets you every episode early. You get uh, our our musings. You get our uh, late night Amazon purchases. And I think yeah, if I if I get, if I get my parents to help me fly this kite, I'll post that as a. It'll be my follow to my Banoffee pie creation video. I'll post that to uh, <laughs> show everyone just how fun it can be to send messages and or Egyptian god statues up a kite. <laughs> So yeah, it's Patreon, patreon.com slash 372 pages. Uh, chip in, and we, we really appreciate everyone there who helps uh, support the podcast. Uh, first episode, uh, first sentence is from Trejan. Any unprejudiced person would accept the green lights to be the eyes of a great snake, such as tradition pointed to living in the well hole. Um, so any unprejudiced person. That just, it's Sir Nathaniel logic right there. Everyone knows green lights equal giant snake eyes, as Trejan puts it. We get one from Chad. Uh, this was not Chad and Dale. This was just Chad. Sir Nathaniel realized that Adam was right. The white worm had no supernatural powers and could not harm them until she discovered their hiding places. Uh, so, yep, that was not just us seizing on that. Uh, he says, I suppose, except I suppose being in psychic communication with a primordial worm monster or being able to turn into a primordial worm monster. I'm still a clear, unclear about this. Other than oh, that. Oh, well, thank God he's unclear about it as well. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, Scott submitted the strength and impregnability of a diplodocus. Um, that, yeah, that we sort of didn't really spend much time on that, but that's just utterly insane because one, diplodocus is, it's in the B tier of dinosaurs, I think. You know, it's not a stegosaurus, T Rex, or brontosaurus, but then describing it as impregnability, um, not a word you associate too much with dinosaurs. Uh, we have from Mike, uh, Lady Arabella's anger, now fully awake, was all for Ulanga. <laughs> it says uh there are two people present with her and one just tried to kill her who else would her anger before <laughs> uh we have one from <laughs> we have one from lucas and the marriage should be immediate and secret or at least not spoken of outside ourselves 
He says, that's how secrets generally work. You didn't need to specify how to keep a secret. Uh, Richard submitted, it seemed to him to be a stern duty to prevent anything irrevocable taking place till it had been thought out and all was ready. He says, that feels like a mission statement for this entire book. <laughs> um, if we hadn't seen uh, Bram so clearly uh, not thinking things out as he uh, as he went through. Uh, we get this one that was submitted. Well, this one was clearly we touched on. Heather and Tim submitted. I never thought this fighting an antediluvian monster was such a complicated job. <laughs> I think Heather said, yeah, all this talking and waiting and napping and having walnuts and wine. This is hard work. Three people submitted this one, David, Blake, and Theodore. At first, Nathan Sir Nathaniel seemed disposed to ask some questions, but shortly gave this over when he realized, recognized that their narration was well thought over, concise, and self-explanatory. <laughs> Someone, so I forget which person wrote, uh, is this how Bram describes his own writing? Or did he think he wrote Ulanga's death scene in a way that was concise and self-explanatory? Or did we, <laughs> yeah. did we maybe just get the crappy version? Uh, Janelle submitted... Uh, Adam laughed a low, sweet laugh, such as ripples from a happy heart. <laughs> she said, "I yeah, have that no was uh, <laughs> that was in the middle of him describe. That was right after him describing his Titanic battle and the death of uh, Longa." <laughs> she you said, have, "I had we, no we, idea what this sounds though. like, and yeah, never want to know." Thank you, yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew. The more I think of it, the more apparent it seemed to me that he had premeditated the whole thing. Of course, except his own horrible death. <laughs> uh, he added, uh, I, he had premeditated a happier death in the evening. Um, he said it's not necessarily a bad sentence, but maybe a cheesy sentence. I just like reading these because that one is something I completely glossed, glossed over. But yeah, you would expect maybe that would be something he hadn't planned on. Right. Uh, we get uh, Marie saying, that is so, but being feminine, she will probably overreach herself. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, Melissa said in the past, in the early days of the world, there were monsters who were so vast that they could exist for thousands of years. And she said, like, being big doesn't make you live wrong. In fact, in just about every species, it's a huge detriment to longevity. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, tall people, they have an yeah. issue with that as well. Right. So, yeah. Um, another Mike said she had not forgotten and never would, never could, the occasion when, to harm Lilla, the woman had consorted even with uh Ulanga. <laughs> and so yeah that's what is uh that we just touched on that that's the oj uh oj ron goldman's dad uh tom it is an old trick we learn early in diplomacy adam to fight on ground of your own choice it is true that she suggested the place on this occasion but by accepting it we make it ours <laughs> <laughs> so yeah a lot of dumbness in this uh in this thing i uh i had a couple myself um what else do they have i had adam being surprised at the effusive epistle I had uh, Antediluvian Monster, and uh, I had this one. This was just a good stage direction that uh, I didn't look up really what it means, but this is when uh, they're talking about uh, the, how the white worm can look into windows. Sir Nathaniel held up an expostulatory hand. I just thought that as, uh, as far as adjectives go, that one was wildly unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, I pulled that one and was going to ask you how many times you have ever used <laughs> postulatory. I'll, uh, let me look up what that means. Sir Nathaniel uh, held up a... It doesn't even really have a concise definition on Google, so... <laughs> no, I, I looked at it. I have to get to the root word, expostulate, which I think is dismissive, I think. Okay. So, oh, dismissive okay. hand. All right. Much easier to understand. 
Uh, mine is a very dry one, um, so it's you know the, all the fireworks are already been shot off. So yeah, this yeah. is a little a little bit of a, a you know letting the air out, but uh, it's when they're eating breakfast in silence. <laughs> um, it says what had been had been and was known to them all. So <laughs> the fact that they, they yeah they knew what they had all been up to. <laughs> so no, nobody needed to be filled in. So let's just sit and eat in silence. Of course, <laughs> it's at, like Method Man said. He, I, I stands all I stands till I till I can't stands no more. Yep, it just seemed very, um, you know, the the uh, the the Swedish husband thing. I, Look, uh, honey, I told you I love you when we got married, and if anything <laughs> changes, I'll let you know. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, we just, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, those are our dumb sentences of the week, and uh, I. We've been omitting emails, uh, not because we haven't gotten good emails, but because we've been pushing two hours with every single one of these episodes. So maybe, maybe when we're done, we'll have a mailbag or something like that. That could be the, a better way to do this. Um, but, I mean, I think two hours is as much patience as anyone has for one of these things. So Certainly longer than, uh, than Bram took to write the chapters <laughs> that we just read. So, right. uh, yeah. Uh, at, at this point in time, that. these podcast lengths are uh, approaching the uh, strength and impregnability of a diplodocus. So. Yeah. All right. Let's, Connor. We better hit hit the uh, hit the hay. Take a nap. Sounds circle good. back on this. That yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> all right. I hear my I hear my elderly uncle's footsteps in the hall. I really I really gotta gotta get that guy's own place. I can't wait till he bursts in the door. You know, with the uh, uh, the nightgown and the uh, you know sleeping cap on. And like, <laughs> for the love of God. <laughs> I'm not a moron. <laughs> You're right. The, the cigar smoke makes it very difficult to sleep. It is. Uh, I feel like almost rushing toward a zone of slipperiness every time it wafts in under the door. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for enduring uh, Mr. Stoker. And uh, we'll be back for another episode of 372 Pages. We'll never get back. Ta-ta.